and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. Hey, guys, how's it going? The Buff Holiday Raffle has begun. Thanks, Craig McKnight, for putting that on over at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. The prizes are all out, so you can go check out those. Uh, uh, did you check any yeah, of those I did. Out? Those like, look amazing. Like, I mean, I was like looking, I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, there's a Ryan Sook one. And it's got, like, Hellboy with an axe and a stake. Oh, wow. And there's, like, bats behind him. So it just makes me think, like, there's some vampire story there. I just love the yeah. storytelling. And But, yeah, Ryan Suck is really good. Did you some get to those, check those out, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, there are spoilers in there. Uh-oh. So beware. Because oh. the one I saw, I was like, oh, that is amazing. And then right. I was like, wait, that's a huge spoiler. Yeah, they're, uh, <laughs> they're, yeah so watch out there. Yeah. Yeah, and there were um, some amazing just Dark Horse products, like one of those Hellboy PF Sideshow statues is on there. They have the artist editions, but they're the remarked versions. So what that means is there's a Hellboy sketch on the inside of the artist edition by oh, Mike Mignola. nice. Yeah, oh, so wow. those are really cool. Those are really impressive. So just beyond the artists that we talked about in our bonus episode, there's some great just additional merchandise that is really awesome. And thanks again to Craig McKnight for helping us with that bonus episode. The Skeleton Crew pin has also been revealed. The last I heard, we're recording this on Sunday, there were only 20 left. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So those are going, yeah. That's good news for the raffle. It is. It's, it is. Craig was saying we have already almost surpassed the entire last year's raffle. That's in fantastic. Just the like, opening couple say, of days. Yeah, I was going to say in, in like the first day or something. Like yeah, that. really. We got a lot of positive comments about our episode with raffle organizer Craig McKnight. Taylor Dodderman said, I listened to the bonus episode of this year's raffle and it sounds incredible. So many amazing artists contributing. All Hellboy Mignola fans, let's band together and have an extremely successful raffle. So mega thanks again to Craig McKnight for putting this together for all of us to enjoy. And he's also, I don't know if you caught this detail in the episode, he's also selling part of his collection for really good prices and he's contributing it towards the raffle. Oh, wow. Like his own personal stuff. I don't know a lot of people who would do that. So I just think that's really awesome and let's raise as much money as we can. I also want to thank all the artists, including our own Matt Strackbine for donating free art. All right. I'm glad to do it. (laughs) really good page from you on there so yeah let's keep this raffle train a rolling don't forget the prizes are amazing but primarily we're raising money for cancer copd brain tumor and alzheimer's research in memory of some lost friends including late book club member case lajerwai so let's keep the donations going and spread the word that page was really special to me too because I had written into the script that baby Hellboy starts to choke Matt with his right hand of doom oh, yeah. while <laughs> giving him a piggyback ride. And I was like, ah, they'll cut that out. They won't let me do that. And no one ever said anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> God, not only could I give him a piggyback ride, but he's allowed to choke me. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, That's awesome. it's really good. It's a really great page. And you can check all that out at Mike Mignola's Art on Facebook. I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody who wished me happy birthday this last week. It uh, was really touching. So, Aww. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. You got a lot of well wishes on Facebook. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everybody, who reached out and said uh, happy birthday. Friendship. Yeah. And if you're feeling generous for the holidays 
and you're thinking, what can I do for those book club member damn guys? Give us a review for the holidays. If you've already done that, you can share us on social media or tell people how much you love the show. Send in an intro. Do all the things. The show's always free, and it really helps us out, so that way other people can discover the show. We haven't haven't had an intro for a while. Yeah, we haven't had one. Let's get one. It'll be fun. Plus, when you follow us on social media, all you have to do is comment, and you're part of the book club discussion. Tell them all about it, Danielle. We're going to read a story. It's a story about Hellboy or BPRD. And then we're going to talk about it, and you can listen to us talk about it. And then after we're done talking about it, you talk about it some more <laughs> on one of the Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Or send us a Hey Damn Guys. That's an email. And then we talk about that on the next time. <laughs> and then we tell you what we're going to read. And then you read that, and then we are friends. Back to you, John. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Someone had mentioned recently that they listened to the Witchfinder episode first, and they were kind of confused at the beginning. Oh. So yeah, oh. we have our listener feedback section, and I always put a timestamp if you want to go straight to the book club discussion. If this is maybe your first episode, <laughs> maybe go for it straight to the book club discussion, listen to it, and then you can submit your feedback and listen to it next time. I'll never not think so about that, so Mr. Show's <laughs> yeah, that Mr. I'll Show's never sketch. not think about that. It's every time. It just gets more and more fucking frazzled right. as time goes yeah, on. Yeah, hi. Uh, What's going on? I mean, you're doing a show about pet care, but everybody's talking about racism. No, I don't... no, okay, no, no, no. No, I'm not doing a show about pet care. I'm doing a show about the elderly. The people calling about racism are watching the show that aired when we were taping the pet show, which is airing now, okay? If they wanted to talk about racism, they should have called three weeks ago when our Crime in the Street show aired, okay? It's just... Let's think before we... <laughs> and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along in time. Get out. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from <laughs> Tristan Alpha T. Tristan from Western Australia here. Just playing catch up on the podcast. You gotta say it right. You didn't say it right. Tell me how to say it correctly. You gotta say from Australia, mate. Uh, I'm not gonna do that. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's playing catch up on the podcast. I always love it. Just a quick thought: Would you damn guys be willing to record podcast commentaries for the three Hellboy films and the two animated films? I'd love to be able to watch along and listen to your thoughts. Keep up the great work, book club members. You know Tristan. what? We'll do it. Eventually, under one condition, Tristan, you have to record an intro for us. Ah, there you go. Oh. Good one. Yeah, we will do that eventually, all I right. think. Yeah. It does keep coming up all the time. It we- does, yeah. And But I think, and a lot of people don't know this, it's just we all have full-time jobs and obligations and we all yeah. have other things that we need to do. And so sometimes it's hard enough just to get together once a week. Yeah. So to try and do something extra on top of that. Plus, like, coordinating the movie watching with Matt would kind of also be interesting because we'd have to oh, be on those. Man. Yeah, so. Yeah. Our uh, calendar looks ridiculous, yeah, by the it way. Does like, right we, now. We, I mean, we are writing in so many fucking things. And so, just, yeah, like you said, it's squeezing been busy, in the, yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. lately, we've been in the studio a lot. So, you know, all those things, holidays and all that stuff. It'll be but, fun, though. But It'll I think good. we will get around to it. Yeah. Wes Mattis said, hey, you damn guys, I've been listening for over a year and still haven't sent an email. That's okay. This comment is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank that's you the, so that's much. That's the reason that phrase was invented what is it long time listener first time whatever yeah he says shout out to all the silent book club members yeah, yeah. <laughs> first time hey damn guys there's there you go 
but I just want to let you know how much you are a part of my weekly routine and genuinely feel like part of my friends group, which is crazy because you have no clue who I am. Hellboy slash the Mignolaverse is something I spend a lot of time and passion on and never really had people to express this passion with to the same level. Your podcast fulfills a part of my life and day-to-day that I didn't realize I was missing. Book club member for life, Wes. Aw. Yeah, thank you so much, man. Book club member. Yeah. Yeah, Wes, we know you. Yes, we do know you. (laughs) Wes Mattis, book club member. You got it. Wes Mattis is from... Oh. So I know him more than he thinks I do. Oh. Uh, Because I'm from... Oh, so it just shouts out to the hometown... Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, that's fun. Y'all were probably at some of the same shows or comic book conventions or whatever, a comic book store. Or pie eating contests or something. (laughs) Uh, Crab feast. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Crab pies. (laughs) (laughs) They're crab cakes. Oh, right. They're crab crab cakes. (laughs) Crab pies? (laughs) There's no crab pie. All right, I don't know. You're thinking of the meat pies from... Um few episodes back oh right right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we got a hey y'all dang guys from brian levy brian levy what club member that's right he said <laughs> sorry he said i'm eating crab pie right now so why don't you shut it <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, oh man just to preface this email is 100 percent gush no theories about young archetypes or haunted partners or anything this week. Aww. I was just thinking about the gigantic Abe exposition dump. <laughs> it really he put, was. He put in parentheses Abe's position dump. Nice. From a few weeks ago, we learned that Abe was the one that got Broom involved with the Cavendishes because of Call's experiences with Elihu Cavendish. Mm. There's a simple circular logic to it that's easy to overlook because it fits together so well, but how the fuck did they do that? That's a reveal that took 22 years to build up to, and it's perfect. It makes so much sense. I'm pretty sure that Abe and Call stuff wasn't mapped out when Mike wrote Seed of Destruction, but you've got the Cavendish connection to Abe right there, planting the seed. Did the creative team map out Broom's connection when we learned that Call traveled with Cavendish? That's still a decade of keeping the secret close to the Yeah, I wonder if that was uh, planned all. I can't wait to reveal this 10 years from now. Or... If it's somebody sat up right in bed at three in the morning, I gotta right. write this down. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So I wonder. That's interesting. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Right. I don't know. Right. Who knows? He said, "I do a lot of writing. I've been writing for live comedy shows for about ten years." Oh, yeah, and he's got a page on Facebook called the Pepperoni Zone. Okay. Yeah, so go check that out. He said, "When you're writing comedy, there's a huge emphasis on callbacks. There's something we as human beings just love about a well-timed experience to something familiar." Putting one in a show is usually an instant audience pop. It's we very as- clever, yeah. yeah. Especially if you're kind of drunk, like you've had a few. Yeah. People love that shit. <laughs> they go nuts for that. He says, we as people are universally excited by callback, so it's a common technique in writing. But to have your callback also beautifully and naturally become a tragic twist, that also explains the inciting incident of the entire series. It's just magic. There's something about an inside joke that's really fun to be a part of it. You feel like, oh, that's really clever. I enjoy that very much, (laughs) even though you're one of millions of people who Mm -hmm. are enjoying the same reference. Makes it feel like more personal, right? Well, it makes you invested in the story because you have assimilated this information. And now it's, I don't know, I hate to get into the meta aspects of it. But yeah, we do enjoy a callback, don't we? 
Brian said, there's this added layer of complexity and cohesiveness to this particular twist that I'm just blown away by. If the broom call thing was figured out years in advance, it's amazing. If they just figured it out while hammering out the Abe series, it's even more amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Either way, you're clever. Yeah. (laughs) On another note, thanks to the truly amazing Craig McKnight, I was able to get my hands on the Flesh and Stone cover print a few weeks ago for a very reasonable price. And I love it with all my heart. It rules. That's it, Brian. Yeah, so we talked about that print last week that was made up of all the Lawrence Campbell covers. That is so cool. Yeah, he sent a picture of that, and it looked amazing. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Stonecutter Cam said, I love reading the hell mail in the back of the issues. Stonecutter Cam. And he's found some binds from time to time. Do you ever see that, Matt, when he tags you in his stories? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's really cool. It's awesome. Yeah, and thank you for all the Instagram love. He's always tagging us when he's reading along. He'll post his issues and he'll tag us in there. That's nice. Just read The Shape of Things to Come and To the Last Man. So happy about the reading order. I love that I have some background on Strobel before coming back to those stories. And yeah, so we did mention that, how we got that nice witchcraft and demonology story way, way before all this other Strobel stuff. So we already knew who he was. Taylor Dodderman has also been catching up on the podcast. And so he's dropped some feedback on the last few episodes. Taylor Dunnerman. Book club member. He said, regarding The Garden 2, the Fumaras are absolutely incredible. They're both in my top five Mignolaverse artists. The way that they portray moods and expressions is so great. And Danielle is right. The way that they draw birds is incredible. I'm pretty sure that one of them actually draws birds separate and then puts it on the comic. Okay. And he said that he found a reference for that, but then he couldn't find it later. He was trying to show me that. I thought that was interesting. Interesting. And he said, I'm also taking Aubrey's side that a translation of the ancient language would be awesome. Uh, thank I you. guess I'm just one of those kinds of nerds. <laughs> Lots of talking about the right-hand path, left-hand path. Interesting that Hellboy's palm was never hardly shown, but for Shansh and Maggie, the palm print is their identifying mark. Uh, yeah, we were talking uh, about that. Yeah. He had some feedback on BPRD Hell on Earth Grind. These slice of life kind of stories are my favorite. I love this one shot so much. The ending was such a gut punch. I'm always going to see this story with John in it now, lol. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I hope that I didn't taint anyone's experience now where they're going to be like, oh, now I only think of that nah. book club guy or whatever. But well, yeah, it looks no. <laughs> just like you. I mean, it's like uncanny. Regarding Mass and Monsters... He said, Starman and Ghost are both characters I'm not very familiar with outside of these stories, but I love Batman. And Mignola does some of my favorite drawings of him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he also said about comic book recommendations, I'd like to throw in Usagi Ojimbo. Okay. Yeah. And so Stan Sakai, did you get to see the Stan Sakai piece that's in the raffle? Yeah. That was really cool. Uh, This past year, I bought the Usagi Ojimbo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles complete oh, wow, collection. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so all the crossovers. It's just remarkable. Nice. So this collection came out in 2019, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Nice. So, so just, you yeah. should be able to find it. And one of the stories is really, really recent. Sweet. I'll check that out. Regarding the Black School, he said, I enjoyed the Strobel background info in both this and the earlier issue. One thing that I think would be a cool prequel miniseries revolving not only around Strobel, but the Black School in general and its other students. And so, yeah, he like name drops some of his pals from there. So, yeah, that might be interesting to kind of see more. Yeah, I mean, what is all that about? I would think that would be the only way you could do it because we've already seen kind of Strobel's point of view. So, right. If you didn't bring in like some of the other students, it'd be kind of almost like, what's the point? Right. Regarding regressions. 
He said, this story really fucked with my perception of Broom. Up until now, I felt that he was generally a good person, but damn, completely eliminating Abe's autonomy for 12 years by deciding to hypnotize him. I don't know. There's been some other asshole behavior that I was kind of like, eh, I don't right. know about this guy. He said he didn't this sit guy, right with me. It's not my kind of guy. It also begs the question, did he ever hypnotize Liz or Hellboy? They had tapes marked with their names, too. No, or was no. it just Abe due to the nature of his being? Either way, it's messed up. I'm pretty sure he tried. If he didn't, he he sure did try to right. hypnotize him. He's done some messed up stuff before, though. Yeah. yeah. He also said, poor Vaughn. He really deserved better. He's just a guy trying to do the right thing, and he had such a tortured end. I only hope he's at peace. And he also said he purchased a page from this story, and he posted it. So when Abe is trying to play the recorder, and then he opens it, and the batteries are all corroded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. so Taylor's got that page. It was so awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Regarding Dark and Terrible Deep, he said, I love everything about the story, the ancient secret history, the themes of metamorphosis, reincarnation. The use of Shanshan in the Hyperborean Age, there's a lot more I'd like to discuss, but we'll wait till you guys get through the devil you know because spoilers. Matt is right that this series really rewards you if you read it multiple times. Yeah, so we will have to come back to that and when we get there. And Jason Abaddon also said regarding that story, listening to the podcast, the question of why Broom kept this information about Call from Abe, and then based on what Call told him, he went on the Cavendish Exposition where he was drastically aged and eventually killed by a frog. Did Call set Broom up? Or did Broom not trust Call so he sheltered Abe from his influence? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too, yeah. You guys were talking about Strobel calling out Marbus by various names, but I think there's power in true names, and Strobel knows demons are all shapeshifters. Yeah, but I thought that was a good point. Cause yeah, there's there's historically in a lot of different threads and stories by different storytellers over the ages of yeah. like knowing the true name of a demon right. means you like, have power over it or some t- type of some sort of variation right. of that so like knowing the true name of a right. a creature or a demon or of some type is like really important it ends up being important to the story and the plot and so it's like a whole thing yeah it makes that comment so much more because we were kind of yeah. laughing at it when he goes also known as barba yeah. yeah but he's like and i got you there too yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean that's what he's kind of exactly doing. i like that explanation yeah a lot. absolutely and there's oh, so there's yeah. there's a whole bunch of different types of stories spanning different cultures yeah uh over the Very ages cool. that where that's super important so yeah that's that's awesome there was a part in the story we're about to read where i was like hey wait a minute kind of a thing okay because that very topic was running through my head when i saw uh, it. anyway we'll i guess we'll get yeah to that, but... bring that up bring that back up yeah. we had some feedback on bprd hell on earth flesh and stone from last week nicholas orzaga said i am working in mammoth lakes california this week and brought my comics with me the opening panel was just perfect yeah because it has that mammoth oh, in it yeah. that was so cool jerry turnbull said jerry turnbull book club member yeah. lovely stories with dinar howard's Sometimes I'm glad they didn't explain the link between them, but other times I'm like, tell me now. No. I need to know. <laughs> it's better when it's a mystery. Yeah. He said, I think Gaul is his title, not his name, like Chief Dinar. Oh, his father was Gaul Hadat, Chief Hadat. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, so uh, there was a couple of times last week where I just called him Gaul as his first name, but I guess... He's the Gaul. He's, <laughs> right? a, he's a Gaul. They Gaul. One yeah, of many Gauls. Yeah. Did you notice that not only have they started modifying the BPRD emblem to the Howard's variant, 
but almost everyone is wearing goggles now. Nice. Uh, yeah, I didn't notice it, but when he posted that, I was like, holy shit, they all are. Yeah, I went back to that. And they're they're in tank tops, too. I noticed yeah. that afterwards. Right. Nicholas or- right? Orzaga said, yeah. no sleeves. Right. They've yep. all kind of ripped off their sleeves. And that is so funny. I love that. It's good stuff. But thanks for pointing that out. But it's out. interesting world building, too. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that as a series that insists on constantly evolving and never staying still. It's just, it's not static. It is fluid yeah 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 mm-hmm. something like that and so i'm just appreciate that wor- bit of world building there yeah. it's nice it's good so enos however did not adapt to that right right you'll notice no and he, he was sad yeah. with johan and, and, and that was kate, kate right yeah. mm-hmm. and he's like you know what i'm not much of a follower i'm and not a follower cool. right. yeah but he is... we always talk about like where's he fit you know yeah yeah that strikes me though as like i'm not a follower just to be like, you don't have to be a follower, <laughs> right, but it's right. like, yeah, you're also not great at anything, so maybe you <laughs> yeah. should be a follower. Like, you're not exactly... He wears his sunglasses at night, so... He does. <laughs> well, I mean, he is, cool. <laughs> he is really good at complaining about obvious yeah. bullshit. <laughs> I think that last arc was the only time we see his eyes, right? Right. Is mm. he, like, oh, yeah, right. off every now and then to put on those special goggles where they could help him see further or whatever heat signatures or whatever it was yeah he has to tell people that he's unique and contrary he can't just show it with his actions the way that and that's yet again another because i think they were trying to show like the comparison between the two characters you know and i think that that's another stark comparison between him and howard's because like howard's is just doing what he wants to do and doesn't really give a shit what anyone else thinks about it and this guy is i don't give a shit what you think of me but you're not doing anything very helpful or special so it's like no one cares what you have to actually say. Just right. like show it with your fucking actions. Lobster twenty thousand said, "I demand an Agent Howard's action figure. Who's with me? Do they not make those? That. Yeah." And so Hans Surag said, "This guy should have his own series. I would love more Howard." I I'm surprised that there isn't one. I really figured that <laughs> eventually you'd be like, "Okay, now it's time for the Ted Howard's Galdenar series." So that's not a thing. That's maybe disappointing. Maybe it's forthcoming, right? Huh? That'd be nice. Yeah. Jason. Although you would you would know it'd be like a couple of issues would be just nothing but silence, which right. would be which would be pretty awesome. I'd be down yeah, with yeah. that, honestly. Let's get the Fumaras to do somehow. Okay, yeah. I don't think we've yeah. seen them. Oh, do it. Yeah. Jason Abaddon said Howard's would be the worst at Dungeons and Dragons. Jason Abaddon. <laughs> he gets in over his head, throws the dice, flips the damn table, and leaves without talking to anyone. And he also <laughs> said, How can you guys complain about my man Enos? Oh, He's the obligatory oh. Hudson character yeah. in every unit. Say what you want about his attitude. Enos is no coward. He never runs when the monsters come calling. Well, he never loses his mind and panics anyway. Everyone runs from some crazy shit. I don't know. I think that he did panic. Did he not? Mm. When they were running through the fucking snow? Nope. Remember, he was like, I won't be able to get to my horse in time. Maybe. And then he runs for it. I thought that was brave. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then it had the huff, huff, huff. Yeah. Yeah. He's a badass. <laughs> he was yeah, also for, about to leave one of his aside, team yeah. members in the fucking snow. Well, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, but he broke ranks, though. That guy, you can't break ranks like that. He, sure. he did break You're ranks. on your own. Sure, sure. Mm. 
I mean, but I think that Jason has a good point when he says that he's the Hudson character. Because Game over, man. I, I go back and I watch Aliens, and I love that character. He's great, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Sure. And there is something about Enos that I do like, you know, um, when he's blowing up the thing and how annoying all that stuff is. And I, I don't know if it's just James Heron bringing that personality into it, but I find the character kind of lovable, hateable, too. No. You know, he does have that kind of Hudson quality. I think that's the perfect parallel, movie-wise, yeah. Well... I find the character kind of annoying, but he's not like, <laughs> but he's not like, I don't find him despicable. Like, he's not like Devin. I <laughs> was, I was disappointed that they didn't give me a chance to like him because his character arc wasn't anything. It was just a flat line of, I'm an annoying jackass the whole fucking time and the book didn't end with him gaining any humility or learning any lessons about hubris or anything. It was just like, well, Ted Howard saved my life, but I don't like him, so whatever. Like, cool, man. I guess you suck. Well, well I don't think he said, like, he didn't like Howard. He said, like, you know, he's your leader. You know, he's like, right. why, why aren't you with him? He goes, well, I'm not much of a follower. So he's sulking, you, uh, basically. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Regarding the Black Flame at Marsden's Memorial, Jason Abaddon said, was this a love thing? BPRD almost never delves into romantic lives of characters, but this seems more than an employer or casual friendship kind of thing. What do you think about that with Ooh. the Black Flame and Marsden? Marsden. He Pope makes and... that. He makes the memorial for Marsden, and they all have to have the best flowers there, and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think there's any romantic angle involved. I don't think that the Black Flame is capable of feeling that. Why would he ma- have them make that memorial for Marsden then? And then bring I think that flowers. was his last connection to humanity. Yeah. yeah. And the flower thing, I don't think he demanded people do that. I got the impression that people were doing that to like kiss up. Curry oh, favor. Okay. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, I don't think he's capable. I, I think Pope was so self-centered. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, Marsden would do whatever he wanted. And then That's it. Even yeah. Even like kept going his beyond loyal subject. He yeah. sacrificed a lot to exactly sure, to, right, to try yeah, and yeah. make those dreams realized and really try and move that forward and the agenda or whatever the fuck was. Yeah, and it, it, it wasn't out of fear, right? Yeah. It was loyalty. And now everyone serves him purely out of, fi- out of yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Good point. Or maybe but it's I, one of those things like villains only like people when they see themselves. Right. right in that person you see a lot of that of like the narcissistic that very self-absorbed like oh you're like me i see myself in you and you're just as dedicated as me so like maybe it could end up being one of those things where it's just like the part of that he's in love with is just like himself yeah ah i like that regarding the fungus monsters from the last story jason abaddon said you should read or watch the movie of the girl with all the gifts it's a zombie movie where a strain of cordyceps has infected people worldwide and they attack anyone not infected to further spread the fungus. Oh, yeah. That yeah. sounds creepy. Have you heard of that? At Earth underscore Stellium. Longtime listener and OG right. book club member. Haven't heard from him in a while, but uh, thanks for chiming in. He said, fun fact, at least here in England, you can buy cordyceps coffee which is dried fungus ground up into instant coffee sachet. I forget what supposed claims as a health food it has, but I've tried it for the lulls, and it's actually pretty good. Or the fungus says so. (laughs) Sachet? Coffee sachet? I don't know if it's like that over there, but over here, there is a multi-level marketing scheme, scam. Oh, with that fungus coffee? The pyramid scam. I mean, I'm sure there are 
a bunch of different types of coffee. And I'm sure like you, you can do a pyramid scheme with literally anything, you know, you can take any product and do that. So I'm not saying like mushroom coffee is bad. I'm just saying that there is a fucking company over here that tries to rope people into it. And someone tried to rope people into it while I was like working. That's my only interaction with mushroom coffee. I guess I should oh, try it, okay. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> would you try it, though? Yeah, of course I'd try yeah. it. It's fine. Mushroom you, tea, I've, I've... I don't like mushrooms. I what, love mushrooms. What about you, Matt? Would you try that? Uh, yeah, we have the hot chocolate now. Nice. Oh, okay. I've cool. had mushroom tea. I mean, is it the same thing as mushroom coffee? I don't know. What's the difference? Is yeah. it just the way it's prepared? I have mm. no idea. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Ross Radke said... Ross Radke. Enos is that friend everyone tolerates because he's so unapologetically obnoxious. He says whatever's on his mind at any given moment. Why would you tolerate someone about what they might think? Obnoxious though. He's also probably viewed by his team as something of a good luck charm, considering he's been through some of the craziest stuff and survived. He might be annoying, but he's earned the right to vent because it's his way of coping with the things he's seen. He's the guy telling inappropriate jokes at a funeral to avoid having to deal with his own emotions or the feelings of others. It's maybe not the most healthy approach. A lot of the time, you need someone like that to relieve the pressure of continual trauma. You need better friends. That sucks. (laughs) I would say something. I'd be like, dude, no, get out of here. If you can't stop yourself from saying shit like that, go to a different room. That's ridiculous. Get a therapist. And Wes Mattis said, I love Howard's Galdenar. What a great character. And I love the way Heron draws him with the little lights in his eyes. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't really notice that. I went back and looked, but he's always got like this little twinkle. It's good. Yeah. Like his eye will be mostly black except for like these little dots. Looks really awesome. Yeah. I love that. All right. And now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're reading BPRD Hell on Earth Exorcism. This is a two-issue miniseries published from June to July 2012 as BPRD Exorcism 1 and 2. Written by Mignola and Cameron Stewart. We last saw Cameron Stewart way back in episode 14 in our BPRD, The Soul of Venice and Others discussion. Cameron illustrated Another Day at the Office, a story where Abe and Johan investigate zombies. In the end, Abe shoots the guy wearing bones and controlling the zombies with a tranquilizer dart. And he like falls down. Do you remember that one? Fairly. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird to think that was, this episode, what, 71, two? Uh, I think this will be 68. Okay, this is episode 68. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. Since then, Cameron Stewart went on to win numerous awards, including an Eisner for his short story, Sin Tatulo, and has worked with the big two and collaborated with many writers, including Grant Morrison and Ed Brubaker. Cameron Stewart also provides the art for this series, with colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. The colors for this series are by Victor Kalvachev. Known mostly for his graphic novels Pharaoh and Blue Estate, Kalvachev has worked on comic book titles such as Batman Beyond, Men of War, and DMZ. Yeah, these are very interesting covers. Yeah, uh, I really like them. We don't really get a lot of um, too much realism like the way that this cover yeah. looks I was going like. to say, it's interesting. It's, yeah. it's like such an incredible, the painting quality of it, and then there's a Mignola flame. Yeah. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I like yeah, that a lot. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, nice detail. So I always thought of Cameron Stewart as an artist who's writing. Okay. And so in those cases, I feel like artists will be like, okay, so if I'm an artist and somebody wrote a script for me and I was like, hey, man, you've got 11 panels on this page. (laughs) Do we have to do that? I'd be like, damn, he's got 10 panel pages. How am I supposed to draw all this, Right. right? But when you're writing for your own drawing, 
you're like, yeah, I can do 11 right. panels on this page. I'll do like three, 10 panel pages in a row. And he totally does. Like in the second issue that when the action heats up, there are fewer panels. But in this first issue, the panels are amazing. Like the number of panels and the arrangement are worth noting. So uh. I'll, I'll point out a couple of specific pages as we go. Well, not just that, but also like the cinematic quality of how they have chosen to frame them and the quote unquote like the camera positioning whether right. it's a close-up or a wide shot or it's on an angle yeah, or whatever it, like it's very it's clever and it makes sense and it tells a good story yeah it's like he's doing that high number of panels per page for a purpose yeah right? it's not, not just, just to have it yeah throwing them around yeah exactly and what he thinks will look cool yeah exactly exactly for sure <laughs> and i also think and this is true of everything we read today this stuff reminds me of like classic disney movies oh, okay okay there's something about it where i'm like it tugs at these like bits of nostalgia within mm-hmm. me i don't even know if that's accurate like a disney movie well they but... take really strong archetypes and copyright them so i'm not surprised yeah. at but that like, at all even there's one character in particular when we get to it i'm like man that guy that's straight out of like a classic disney movie. sure right. Yeah. Right. that's how i feel well they, so I'll they've, point that out they've taken all of our various societies strongest myths and been like we'll make a sleeping bag out of it so it's i'm not surprised because they're you know these are very these archetypes and myths really permeate you know and now that the internet is a thing all the various cultures are kind of like sharing with each other and so we know more now more stories than we ever have so it's not surprising that you in general will relate to these stories more and more i think that that's yeah that's absolutely on the nose I have a habit as a comic book artist of counting the panels whenever okay. I read a All right. comic book. So, you know, sometimes you read a comic and you're like, okay, obviously there's four or five panels, big deal. But then other times it stands out to me right away. And, I'm, and I've talked to other comic book artists. This happens to them too, where right on the first <laughs> page you're like, okay, I'm going to have to count the panels for, <laughs> for the rest of this issue. And it's, on the one hand, sort of a burden because you just want to read the comic. But on the other hand, it's a fantastic study. Yeah, you, know, it's a, you can't it's take like yourself real, out of that. Yeah, it's a learning experience. So yes. this so this awesome. is the perfect, the perfect story to do that with. You're filing it away. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So we open up in East Africa, 1890. And so this is probably British East Africa. This was an area in the African Great Lakes that was controlled by Britain in the late 19th century. It grew out of British commercial interests in the area in the 1880s and remained a protectorate until 1920 when it became the colony of Kenya. And then it would go on to become Kenya. I like that Cameron Stewart's not afraid of shadows. And you're going to need someone like that for these Of course, books. yeah. We're in this estate and we see this man and a priest and they're standing around this woman in a chair and we learn that she's unwell. The priest says, Great evil resides inside her. We must act swiftly. Some of the men have their doubts. I don't know exactly what this one guy is saying. I don't I don't know precisely what he's talking about, but I know that it's probably racist. Oh, okay, right, yes. <laughs> like, I, we don't have time to unpack all of that. So the priest is African. I didn't mention right. that, yeah. 
I went on a casting spree. I don't know why while I was reading this. I guess the art is so good that it's easily castable because it's very they're very expressive and stuff. So I was thinking of casting <laughs> young Yes, I know. Uh so I was thinking of casting the young Otobenga as uh David Oyelo O. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And so I went on a huge like IMDb <laughs> hunt for various actors who I thought would be amazing and like what they've been in and what are their acting chops and all this stuff and I who is severe enough to carry off this these scenes? Right, and right. this guy really has some, you know, pathos behind his acting. So I thought he would, and like so for older Otabenga, I thought of course Louis Gossett Jr. So oh, nice! Would oh. be yeah, an amazing Watchmen. older, because yeah, he's in he's in Watchmen. And he right. does a really good job of. Uh, I think that Louis Gossett Jr. has the chops to be older Otabenga. So yeah. obviously we've seen him in a bunch of stuff. So he's great, and so um. Uh, sorry, I don't know why I went on a big casting spree. I'll be <laughs> okay. momentarily interrupting now and again to tell you. You don't say. Who. Yeah, yeah. I know I don't do that very often. So <sighs> yeah, this woman Edwina, her eyes roll back, and I like this. Um, you can almost sense like the animals sense it beforehand. Oh yeah. We cut to these impalas outside. They kind of like That's look great. before this. All this action takes place. They go, "What the fuck?" And she starts doing all this creepy stuff, right? The priest, Otabenga, he says, evil is showing itself. He starts saying this prayer. It's like the typical exorcist scene. He raises his cross from around his neck, and he calls the impure spirit by all the names of God. And so these names that he's saying at the bottom, we've talked about this before. There are a lot of Hebrew and Jewish names for God, right? We've seen these in a lot of the other Mignolaverse stories. And I love this action by Cameron Stewart. He does such a great job. It almost looks like it has a very kind of animated quality. Oh, yeah. I guess that is that for Disney sure, yeah. Yeah. kind of like feel that Matt was talking about. We cut to Indiana now, and we see a similar scene taking place. A priest here is performing an exorcism on a little boy, and a BPRD agent watches. There's a Buzz Lightyear over here. Oh, yeah. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Look at There's 19 panels between these two pages. Wow. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. There's That's a amazing. lot of action packed in these two pages here. And this BPRD agent, if she seems familiar, it's because this is BPRD agent Ashley Strode. We last saw Strode way back in our Black Flame episode number 18. The issue of War on Frogs number 3 acts as the epilogue to that story. And in this story, Ashley meets Liz. Um, after Liz is all messed up after the Black Flame, she's yeah. still being possessed by Guilford. And she's in yeah. like, the, like that half world or whatever. Strode discusses Liz with her colleagues how much she admires Liz as a strong presence in the BPRD, but she also worries that she hasn't seemed right. Later in that issue, we see a flashback where Ashley, Strode, and Liz fought some frog monsters in an attic together in a house that they were searching. And at the end of that story, they introduce each other by their first names. Right on. Yeah. I've never really had much of a reason to care about this character i've been kind of ambivalent about right. this character until this story and yeah. i was like i like this okay, character cool and i would definitely cast zendaya for sure oh okay. she's yeah, got she's those i think she's got those chops to make that arc and so strode has never seen an exorcism before she's facilitated getting father hale involved but, you know, this kind of reminds me of old Hellboy missions. Yeah, he would go get the father, And the father would do stuff and he would just kind of help. Classic shit. These types of things are still happening even while the hell on earth stuff is going on. I like that they're still bothering with it. Right. I like that they're not just, you know what? We've got 
a lot of shit going on. Right. Why don't you just save your little paltry exorcism here? We've got like actual fucking monsters. Sure, sure. No, this guy's out there like, okay, I'll come help your farm, boy. Sure. Kid, <laughs> like, you know. And so this kid getting exercised, he sits up and he's all evil, right? The child is indeed ours, Franklin Nash. We shall keep him. Until the ransom is paid, he tells the father. And the priest, he's like, starts asking for the holy water, and he starts praying, and he calls for Ashley Strode to get it, and she kind of hesitates, right? She's like, well... I mean, shouldn't you? And he just kind of looks at her. Here's where, and yeah, he snatches no, it away from her. That's a little. She's like, look, I have, I don't have any experience doing this. I don't know how to do this or what to do. Shouldn't you? Aren't you the fucking expert at exorcism? Shouldn't you be the one to do this? Like, shouldn't you have gone over this before they walked? Yeah, into like house? she has no training in this field. This seems like something that would need someone who's right, experienced, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, she's never performed an exorcism. What the fuck does he expect her to do? I thought that was rude of him. Yeah, maybe he didn't preface well, but, her enough on what yeah, to do. Man. Right? Go ahead, Matt. But she is. She is from the Bureau of. Oh, he was expecting. Yeah. So okay. It's like, what? What do you do? Right. You know, you just, you have a gun, cool. <laughs> no, yeah, you know what, you have a point. She should be more familiar with this is what you're saying. But also, like, so I was raised Catholic, and there's no shortage of salty Catholic priests, right? To, <laughs> to, put, it, to put it lightly, but... Sure. But also, traditionally, and this is my only experience with this, is in books and pop culture and cinema and stuff, but right. exorcists. A Catholic priest who's an exorcist is he is going to be rough around the edges, mm. okay, and yeah. not just from having dealt with demons and seen the worst of the worst, but also because they're traditionally very unconventional priests. They're usually you're talking so about in pop in pop culture. You're talking about in stories. The priests are generally. Culture, it's yeah. always the priest who's like, hey, man, you're not doing so great as a priest. Yeah. The demon talked to you, so maybe you should be an exorcist or right. something like that, right? It's always like, okay, well, so you do have a purpose, but you're seemingly the worst priest around. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll make the best exorcist. Or, like, or, and, or just unconventional. Like you, you said know? earlier, they've seen some shit, so they don't right. have time for your yeah. pleasantries. Okay, sure. right on. So he's a little, maybe he's a little shell-shocked. Yeah. Sure, okay. Because I was like, man, this guy is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time he's on screen and or on the page. And then, you know, I was like, but of course. I mean, he's an exorcist. I, right? but he's I also, not going to be a caring person. <laughs> I also like that thread you started of, hey, she's in the BPRD. She should know a little bit about should, this. Yeah. She should be a little bit more. Yeah. Why'd they send you? You and know? then later, no, and that makes sense too, because later, well, we'll get there. But it, what you're saying makes sense in more ways than one, and I guess we'll get to that because right, I right. just thought of yeah. something from from later on. But yeah, so anyway, sorry, John. That's okay. But I, I do love this panel where he's like, "Give it to me." Yeah, like, Cameron Stewart yeah. does a good Give job of giving shit. him that attitude, and so he throws the holy water on the kid. He starts praying, and then the kid's like, "Ah, oh, it burns enough!" And then this demon pops out really amazing version yeah. of this Mignola demon really from Cameron Stewart. The colors really sell it to such a dynamic page. Well, I like, um, I guess it's in the sketchbook later. It talks about he came up with the design and then Mignola tweaked it. Oh, yeah. And you see all the notes and it's just like, you know, I'm sitting there looking at this, this after reading those notes. And I'm like, oh, I can definitely see where he incorporated it. Oh, yeah. okay. That is so cool. Thanks for pointing that out, Aubrey. For the preacher... And this is just as an excuse to get him in there because I love this actor so much. Ed Begley Jr. Okay. Love him. I just love him so much. I love him in everything he's in. Well, he could do that little attitude, too. I know. He's so great. Isn't he? I just want any excuse to see him in anything, so... 
And so the demon sees Ashley Strode and addresses her. Ashley Strode, you are to receive my message. And she's like, she me? She straight up asks the demon what is your their name. name. Demon? <laughs> now, wait a minute. That's, first of all, a huge, like... Right. We've learned in would, all these stories. If you're a demon, we know this. would you be like, excuse you? <laughs> what the fuck did you just say to me? Like, and But he gives it to her. Now, why would you give someone your fucking name if that was a huge deal right. in your lore or whatever the fuck? I, I think he's in service of a greater demon. Okay. Yeah. He wants, he's, all the cards are on the table because okay. there's a bigger picture. Okay. So this is I an think, extreme situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's the only reason right. why. He's I wish they would have had a little bit more, like the priest saying something like saying something about it, or being like the name of a demon is. He's not going to give that to you, and right. the demon does give it, and he's like, "What the fuck?" Like I would have liked yeah. a little bit more okay. behind that, but I don't know. Maybe that's just. I, I also don't think the demon popped out because. Of the holy water. No way. The holy water had any effect. He, he's like, all right, get out of here with that. the water. This is ridiculous. He wanted a BPRD person, and it just happened to be Ashley Strode. Yeah. And so he yeah. was like, all right, that's fine. That's enough of this shit. That's I like that. That's a, that's good. I like that. Yeah. The demon says his name is Sabako. And the only reference I could find Sabako was in the Encyclopedia of Demons in World Religions and Cultures by Teresa Bain. And so I thought this was really interesting. So it's just a compilation of she did all this research to find all these demon names. Okay. Each entry in this encyclopedia has its own citation where she pulled it from. Oh. Okay. okay? So it reads, Sabaka was the familiar to the Comte de Corras, Comte de Fox, and Andriano Lemni. Described as having bullhorns and three eyes in his forehead, he is under the command of the demon Batis. So he is under the command of another demon, All right, like according to the lore. Right. So here's the interesting part. In the encyclopedia's citation, it says Ashley. Oh. oh. Wow. Amazing World of Superstition, Prophecy, Luck, Magic, and Witchcraft, number 18. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So it turned into a Lost episode for a second, just like last <laughs> yeah. time. So that... See, to me, Sabaco sounds like a hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> like, Somebody should make that. Sauce. You know, like that. Tabasco? Is that like... Like with a demon on nice. it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But that is so. That is a great bit of research. Uh, yeah, I was I was really excited when I found that. That's pretty cool. Sabako holds the child, ready to snap its neck, and he Ugh. says he's an envoy, and he has a demand from his lords. If they refuse, he will bear the child's name to hell forever. He says there is great unrest in hell. It cracked the surface of the earth, and no living thing will be spared its infection. The age of man approaches its final desperate hour, and a new breed shall flourish to take his place, unless the balance between the dominions of hell and earth can be restored if our imprisoned brother is set free to once more take his rightful seat in hell's court, the citadel of the fly. Oda Benga holds the key to the prisoner's cage. The message is delivered. See it done, or the child will never be free. Jeez. It's intense. And so... The child's left crying, right? Yeah. He and Sabako disappears. Every time I hear Citadel of the Fly, I feel like it should be like an 80s metal band. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> not, not the yeah, band, but totally. the name of their album. Sure. Yeah. I thought you were going to say an 80s movie, because that sounds like an 80s movie. To oh, that me, works, so, yeah. too. <laughs> it's a cool phrase, for sure. I yeah. definitely appreciate it every time it's brought up. Okay, so this next scene, though, 
it, Matt is when when you had offered up that idea, I thought that it was a fantastic bit of reasoning for this whole because when she calls Kate, she's like, "Hey, uh, I didn't like sign up for this," and she's like, "Actually, you fucking did." Right. What? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, dude, you're in the BPRD. You really should be used to this type of shit by now, yeah. and that's a little. It's a little weird that you are not used to this and that you're freaking out so damn much. So yeah, like, I like Kate your take should, on it. Yeah. Kate should put Enos on the phone with her for a second. But I, uh, I'm just kidding. No, I very much like your take on that, that everyone's reacting to her. Like, what's the matter with you? You're right. in the BPRD. Yeah, sure. So I think that that's, that was a good theory for sure. Kate asked what the demon said, and she's intrigued by the name Oda Benga. She knows he was a consultant back in the 40s. And I do want to mention Cameron Stewart's depiction of the UN guy. Okay, is that so guy. Good. That's, yeah. that's the Disney guy I was I, talking about. I have, oh, cast, you're right. I have cast this person as Eugene Levy, obviously. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. pretty good. That goes along with the Disney theme, too. And my Kate Corrigan, I've finally managed to find an actor with enough chops. <laughs> an actor that is good enough. Naomi Watts. Oh, Naomi oh, Watts. Okay, great. look at this. I love Naomi Watts. She's got some, you've got a picture here of her. She's got the Kate haircut. She's got the Kate haircut. Yeah. But it's not just about the way that she looks. Naomi Watts is a fantastic I actress. Love her, she yeah, can really carry great. off Kate really well with a lot of gravitas. I love that. But thing. yeah, the hair. I mean, you need when to you have were, the haircut too. When you too, were though. building up to it, I was gonna. I was like, oh, I don't know if it's gonna be good. But hey, yeah, come on, hey, that was great. It's good casting. Come on. <laughs> Do you not like my casting choices so far? No, they've been great. Come on. How could I argue with Kurt Russell for what was that guy's okay. name? Morgan. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, from great. Witchfinder. Yeah. No, that, that was, was good casting. But we did meet Oda Benga before in BPRD 1947. He was a friend of Trevor Broom's uncle, and also to Broom, assisting him with helping Simon Anders after he was bitten all over by the Brazina sisters. Oda Benga used the rosary-type mala beads to go into the spiritual realm where he was young, just like in this comic, and he fought off the sisters with a flaming sword and locked them away within Anders until the events of BPRD Vampire. Did y'all remember that? When the the name popped up, I was just like, okay, that name sounds familiar. But then like when we turned the panel and we see Otobenga, Otobenga, I was just like, it all came flooding back, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> right, cool, I love that. So when Strode is saying that she doesn't think she can do the mission, Kate's like, that's not what Liz Sherman said about you. I'm reading your file right now. Agent Sherman wrote a very positive report, said you were tough and passionate, sure to have a bright future in the Bureau. Liz really said that, Ashley Strode says. Yes, she did, Kate says. But yeah, I can find someone else. Come on back to the base. And then she's like, okay, I'll do it. Right. And Kate's like, terrific. I'll be in touch. That is so manipulative. And so we see Strode. I love this panel where she's like turning the phone off. She's like, you know, you can tell she's happy about that. Yeah. And the UN guy's like, she sounds a little green, but if Agent Sherman approves, frankly, I doubt Liz even remembers Ashley's name. Damn. Harsh. I mean, fair. She would not, but true. The only thing in this file about Liz Sherman is how Agent Strode idolizes her. But she's a good kid. She can handle this. I don't know how I feel about this. Oh, this I is... I feel like it's great because Kate just knows how to play her people like a violin. <laughs> I don't know, though. Like, is that what we want out of Kate? Uh, well, I mean, it's she didn't do it maliciously. Still. I mean, she did it in a way to kind of stroke her ego to kind of be like, look, you can handle this. Like, Liz thinks she can handle it. Really? Liz thinks See, I can handle it? But I don't yeah. know. If it's something that means so much to a person. And then if she ever were to find out. That would totally, sure. A, break her trust in Kate forever, 
and that's not what you want in a leader and then b how horrible would you feel knowing that's like okay liz doesn't actually even know who i am yet i thought this whole time that she thought i was cool like that well i mean as but, someone with a very fragile fucking disposition i would be crushed well i mean maybe if she found out like immediately afterwards that liz didn't know right. but uh I would think that because you know what she goes through and through this issue and then like sure. the next story, like, Liz, what, it becomes true. We'll you're saying, yeah. okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, because like interesting take. Kate believes in Ashley to live up to the potential to be somebody. That the Liz power would notice. was within sure. you the whole all <laughs> there you along. Go. There you go. It wasn't the talisman that we gave you. It right, was right. okay. It was all right, all sure. Along. You know. All right. The, the, you're saying <laughs> the ends justifies the means of a little white lie yeah. kind of a deal. All right. Yeah. Well. Okay, we'll see. And Strode, she sees Father Hell coming out of the house, and she tries to talk to him about the kid, but he's all pissed off, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't help myself from hearing his voice, you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you have any idea what you did in there, he asks. You never engage a demon in conversation. We're here to exercise evil, not look evil in the eye, and ask questions. You tainted the ritual, and now the demon has coiled itself more tightly around the boy's soul. If we lose that child, it's on your head, he tells her. Ed Begley Jr., harsh. <laughs> he just pulls out of the driveway. And so I love this. 37 hours later, Jeez. we cut to Strode. She's being driven through Mexico in a Jeep. And she's telling the driver about what happened. And I love that she mentions the priest was her ride. Oh, so when, man. So when he pulls out, he's just leaving her there. It's <laughs> so funny. Man, th- this was a great transition. And he was my ride. Dude. Yeah. Some priest, she says. <sighs> Strode goes up to this house, and she's greeted by a woman. She says she's BPRD, looking for Otabenga. And inside, we see the old guy. Strode says she came to him because he's an expert in demonology, and his name came up with Savako. Benga says he doesn't recognize the name, and Strode sees this picture from 1948, with Otabenga and the professor. How old is this picture? How old are you? She asks. 154, he says. Yeah, there are a lot of panels on this page. I'm just noticing it now. Right. Strode tells Benga about the prisoner and Sabako's threat. He says that demons aren't truthful. There must be another reason for his demand. Benga says demons don't negotiate with humans. So this one must have been a minion. And maybe he's trying to fulfill service to a master so he can move up in rank. Benga mentions Andros, a Marquis of Hell with 30 legions at his command. Thanks for that bit of research, Oda Benga. Andros is also described as having the body of an angel and the head of an owl or raven. Benga says he is long acquainted with this demon. The prison is this aged body you see before me, he says. Andros is inside me. And so I love this storytelling here. We kind of cut back, and so we reveal that what happened in the flashback in East Africa, 1890, was Otabenga as a young man. And so I totally didn't even make that connection on this read-through, and I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I honestly, I didn't realize it was Otabenga until later. Right. When we were first watching that flashback, he was holding up his cross, and she was flying in the sky. And so here we pick up right there. The possessed woman is flying all around. And he told the demon, you shall not have her, but neither shall I permit you to return to hell. I draw you forth to contain your evil and protect this innocent from its corruption. I cast myself a prison forged from blood and bone, sealed by God's will. Now, spirit, I draw thee to me. 
in heaven's name I bind thee to me. And so we see all the evil coming out of the woman and going into Oda taking a big hit yeah. for this woman. I mean, did he not just taint the ritual to quote the Father Hale? Oh, right. Yeah, by negotiating with the demon. Right. right. So sometimes you just, you know, do what works. Right. right. And that holy water was not working. (laughs) He spent the rest of that ceremony on his ass, literally, watching things unfold. And he was just bent out of shape because of that. Right. Mm, Yeah, you're right. It wasn't textbook. (laughs) And we see here, I love the color shift, too, when the... You know, like Otabenga holds his eyes and his eyes are all white. Right. You know, and then he closes them and then like it snaps out of it. Right. That, that's the moment that he like tones. captured that demon. Yeah. Right. And so the woman is fine and she's like, oh, it was horrid. It was so horrid. Is it gone? Please tell me it's gone. And he says, yes, child, it's gone. Everything is fine. Yeah. He's got that look, on, got his that look face, on his face, right? Yeah. So here I'm thinking, oh, wow, that is like the ultimate sacrifice. I can't believe he would take such a big hit for this woman and risk. That's a huge risk. Like you're, what? A demon right. of hell? And then later we get a little more intimation as to his like motives, perhaps. And it's a little more of a gray area. So. Yeah. No, We. it's the very next yeah. scene. We see Strode. She's pushing Otabenga in his wheelchair chickens. through this marketplace. Yeah, there's like chickens running around and stuff. And he tells her that he was young, rash, and arrogant at the time. And he wanted to punish Hell's army by capturing one of its generals. For many years, the demon's presence gave him strength and resistance beyond a normal man. Right, so he's he says he hopes to gain something by enslaving that power. Right, so that was yeah, kind of a yeah. little bit more of a great check area. Out, um, check out that motorcycle. Oh, yeah. Cameron Stewart draws the coolest motorcycles. Oh, okay. Because, you know, he does or did Batgirl. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bike. So this is someone who enjoys drawing motorcycles rather than someone who's like, God, yeah. I have to draw a fucking yeah, motorcycle. Know, yeah. There's no reason for that motorcycle <laughs> to like, be there. I'm just going to put one in put there. One yeah. there. Yeah. Sure. Right. Otobenga says he can always feel it. It whispers unspeakable things to him. As long as it lives within him, his body cannot die. Sucks. He says, we must destroy it. And Strode's like, we? He says, is this not your purpose? And she's like, I don't really know. But he's like, even he's saying, like, isn't that why you're here? You know, to destroy this? (laughs) Yeah. So we see why they're in the marketplace. He's there picking out a goat. And so he finds when he's like, yes, good, seems healthy. You'll do nicely, won't you? I absolutely hate that. Oh, yeah. I hate it. Oh, I, yeah, me too. I he's, like that he's still in his pajamas, though. That is good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is good. He tells Strode that she's stronger than she gives herself credit. We will unlock this cage together. You are the key, he says. Back at his place, he gives his caregiver the night off and prepares for the ceremony. We see Strode on the floor, surrounded by candles. And she asks if they need any weapons. And so he gives her a shell. And she's like, a shell? But We, <laughs> we can, can see that, yeah. Yeah. On the bottom, it's got the these sigil. little sigil carved. Yeah. You know that goat's like, so what? what's my purpose oh, here? Wow. Hate it, hate it. <laughs> Just like, an innocent. A situation like this before. <laughs> minding his own business. Just being a, a goat. Sweet little goat. Not cool. And so they start this ceremony. We see those rosary beads that Otabenga also had in 1948 or 1947. I keep saying 48. It was 47. Someone's going to correct me on the listener feedback. It was actually 1947. Well, he he, <laughs> he, he most likely had them in 48 as well. Oh, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. Thank you, Aubrey. You can be all like, next time, next time you see those are the same beads he had in 1975. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
We see Strode appear in this other realm, just like we saw in BPRD 1947. She's in the hood, and she sees Banga. He's the younger version of himself, too. And he says they're in the spiritual plane. Strode asks about her weapon. She doesn't have her shell. Look in your hand, Banga says. And so she's got this flaming sword, and he also had the same thing in 1947 as well. The Marquis awaits, Banga says, and so they enter this demon-faced cavern. Really cool design on that. I like this one part where they first get into the spirit world and she's climbing up the rocks and she's having to lift up her robe. Oh, yeah. Because it's like such an impractical thing to be wearing there. (laughs) (laughs) Just the, yeah, they recognize that. I love that. That's a great detail, Aubrey. But it's also, she doesn't need to because it's a spirit realm and it really wouldn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) But also the face of this cavern, it kind of reminded me of those proto-human guys. Absolutely. Some lovely Mignolatis here. Yeah. Strode mentions that she loses the concept of time in that plane and Benga says he's used to it. Time carries on as it always has. You are simply not perceiving it as you are accustomed. And so we cut to them in this room. So I like this. They cut back and we see that Strode is on the floor. So while all this is going on, you know, they're still there. Strode says, oh, right, this isn't real. But Benga says it is real. They have departed one plane of existence and traveled to another. One governed by the soul and spirit. I like when she mentions she can feel the shell in her hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great detail. It is there they will release the demon Marquis Andras. You don't sound too happy about it, Strode says. Perhaps not, Benga responds. And so Strode's, uh, for a second, she thinks that she sees Sabako in there. And then she starts to get all apprehensive. It doesn't feel right, she says. And she starts to suspect Benga, saying that he thinks she's dumb and using her as bait. And he's trying to explain, like, yeah, I actually expected this. The demon's having an effect on your mind. It's trying to make us turn against each other and... Right. All this stuff, and she's like, "No, you're doing," it. and she's absolutely succumbing to this for sure. Yeah, and as she starts becoming more paranoid, like the walls start closing in. Yeah, that's, I'm like super claustrophobic, so those scenes were just so unsettling. Well, it's um, just a, really effective. Yeah, it is such a neat storytelling. I think that has to do a lot with the panel layout too, yeah. right? Just like Matt was saying, that kind of does something to make it feel even more cramped and uncomfortable yeah it's a very it's very effective and it's a neat idea that the world itself would change depending on your emotions and your feelings and the actions you're taking it's a very like your emotions if you don't have control over them can really literally shape the world around you and it's kind of like more of a literal immediate effect rather than the gradual effect that we're right. used to in everyday life. I actually thought this was like really good storytelling because I mean, at one point, like I'm like I'm like on her side. I'm like, yeah. How do we know we can really trust you? Yeah, for okay. a brief moment and all that, you know. Yeah. Because it's just the way that the story was told, and I I also sure, am yeah. claustrophobic, and so this <laughs> thing was kind of you're getting trapped in as you get down. Yeah, page. yeah, no. And again, always bringing it back to like you're reading this for the first time. Like yeah. we know what's going to happen and what's going to happen with this character. But yeah, I love bringing that perspective into it oh, and i love this part after she calms down and everything you know the cave is wide open it's not really closing in around her and oda benga says it is not my purpose to harm you and i do not think you are dumb <laughs> and so, i also like how dave stewart handles the color of the flaming swords he's yeah. not overselling it right yeah right yeah. Exactly. it's just like a pale yellow light source yeah right. it's nice so they arrive on this wall of flame 
Benga says, they can just walk through it, but once they do, the magical seal will be broken. They must push the demon towards the waiting vessel. The demon will likely fight, and if it kills them, it'll destroy their souls. Okay, I stay. <laughs> and she's like, well, and I like this part where they go through the fire, where she's like, here goes nothing, and she's like, it tingles, and she goes yeah. through it in this bottom panel, like that face that she's making right before she puts her whole body through it. Just really good storytelling. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of. I just get these brief flashes of like um, Stargate. Okay, yeah. When yeah. they're not sure like what oh, yeah, it's going to be or what's going to be like. And so we get this amazing oh, reveal this of Andras. Did you like this? Yeah. It's amazing. That is so cool. So we oh, see so good. this kind of bird demon. And it's all curled up in a ball. And it's just uh, floating there in, in the middle of the panel. It so and it's just one huge panel devoted to this reveal. It's just really amazing. So effective and intimidating. Just really, yeah, I was impressed with that. And I just like hear all the flames, like all yes, the flame yeah. sounds. You would just see this thing like floating there in silence. Yeah. There's maybe or, a hovering or maybe like a hover yeah. foley that they do. <laughs> where it's like, you know what I mean? And so I love this where he's like, ready yourself awake demon and in these panels where it kind of like wakes Ugh. up and looks at them and it's kind of like annoyed at first and then just screams oh, god. out god <laughs> and it's like a weird owl strong man yeah it kind of looks like a snow owl face right right barn owl no that's a snow owl okay sure, yeah. yeah it says you release me you think me humbled and i love this how it's like conjuring a sword oh it's so good you kind of see that almost animated quality yeah that's like you see the energy drawing together yes the sword. exactly yeah. and the, the colors really sell it of course right. for sure. i've not been idle these many years out of benga while your feeble body moldered, my spite grew ever stronger. And I they guess have... the movement of it too, like that. How is this accomplished? It's so good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. it's great. I I really I'm really um, admiring that panel too. Yeah, Cameron Surge is, does a great job with this action beat over the next couple panels. They're fighting Odabenga and Andras, and so Andras has this giant, almost like anime quality sword right. that they're fighting with, and it's really great. I like how he calls him a dragon. Did he call him a dragon earlier? Oh, yeah. He says flea dragon. Kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. He's using it as like an insult. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and maybe it's in the next issue, but all this stuff that he's saying right here, he mentioned all this stuff in BPRD 1947 as well. Indra, God of Storms, Anu, the father from the temple. These are all Sumerian gods. And so I, th I like this, too, because they mention a lot of, like, Christian gods and Christian yeah. imagery. Right. But then the stuff that he's saying also evokes got Sumerian gods yeah. and Hindu gods and stuff like that. And so I do like how they're building this yeah. this theme with their religions. That... And Jaw is, like, another thing. Right, yeah. Now, I also wonder, because I don't know specific, like, passages or whatever they're called, um, I wonder if... This is like an actual reference to a Bible verse or something like mm. that, where because there's dragons in the Bible, oh, Revelations, okay, yeah. right? I don't know. Well, I'm, obviously, it's like that's a why it says dragon. The word dragon appears quite a bit, but I know that it's like some sort of Roman emperor, really, like symbolism. I have no idea, but like I know that he, it's in there. So maybe is that like he's like I adjure you. Lords of Heaven and all this stuff. I wonder right, if that's right. like a reference. Sure. He's like, you're the dragon and I'm the guy. I'm an angel. I'm going to beat you. Right. <laughs> I got the power of the Lord. And uh, and so we see here Andres is able to get the upper hand 
on Oda Benga, he's able to like push him out of the way with his sword. And as he comes down for the killing blow, Ashley Strode comes in and she slashes Andros on the side. I love her little battle cry, the raw. Yeah. <laughs> as Andros turns to face Ashley Strode, she's like, Enough with the threats. You're free to go. Just go. Get out of here. And so that's what he was saying. They need to lead him towards the vessel. And so we see Andros take off. This threat, though, I'm going to rip your arms from the root. Oh, right. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> that really conjures up some imagery for me. Like, that was very visceral. And I thought that was very specific. And yeah. I was like... Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Through the whole battle, Andros is saying all these like terrible things. That's like grisly. That. This, I shall ride yeah. the four your head upon my pike, hollowed and eyeless, and blind to the Holocaust yeah, around it. Yeah, this yikes. Bl- yeah, <laughs> he's mad. Blind. To- yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> any 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 good exorcist knows that a demon can talk a good game. Yeah, right? there you go. And she has learned from the opening scene. First of all, when she hits it with the sword, that would be like following through with the holy water. Right. right. Oh, yeah. So she, didn't, she didn't make that same mistake. And she knows from that other demon that showed itself to her, uh, hot sauce? Sabaco. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just that, call him hot sauce. Yeah, oh. from hot sauce. From so, hot sauce. She, she knows that, look, all this guy really wants is freedom. That's right. why we're here, right? But we're, he has to make a big show oh, of it yeah. so the that illusion. his ego isn't bruised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, I love the way that she's like, just go. Right. She cuts right yeah. through the bullshit here. and she's like, look, just get the fuck out of here. And he's like, all he's right, like, oh, I'm yeah. not happy that about is... it, but I'll just leave. <laughs> he was furious because he's facing his mortal enemy, his arch nemesis. The uh, one who's kept him uh, in prison for a year. For, for the first time, yeah. 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 And she's just like, cut the shit. And he's just like, Okay, and okay. he fucking. Fine. But the speed with which he departs is creepy. Yeah, yeah. And I like that little creepy detail. But it is cool that Father Hale said, you know, don't ask questions, don't try and yeah talk to it or whatever. That was so logical what right. she said. Yeah, she's like, oh, you're yeah. free to go, just get out of here. And he's yeah. like, oh, this human's making sense. <laughs> well, it's more like, oh, a human that's not going to play the game is, has cut through the bullshit, and it's kind of like he's momentarily annoyed by that, but then he's also like, I guess I don't have to do this anymore, so okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I really enjoyed this development in her character where she's just like, just get the fuck it's out. It's good. <laughs> right, right. And so we see Strode. She wakes up. She's in the room surrounded by the candles with Otabenga and the goat there, and she hears his evil voice. Should I turn tail, humiliated, and allow you to remain unpunished? Now I am free to inhabit another form, one that can taste you. And so we see the goat, and he starts transforming into some awful, no. awful demon, demon monster. monster yeah. <laughs> and so like his jaw splits open. It's really gruesome. He starts turning into this really terrifying goat monster and starts coming after Ashley Strode. This is like Tyler Crook level. Yeah. Animal becomes yeah. monster, yeah. right? Awesome. And so she runs into Otabenga's bedroom. She sees this dagger on the wall. And so there's this whole moment where she's like trying to reach it. It falls on the ground. The monster's coming closer. I, I love I, how the chair gets caught. Oh, right. Doorway. Because he was tied. The goat was tied to the chair. So, yeah, as the <laughs> monster is trying to come towards Ashley, the chair kind of stops it from being able to get closer. And she's able to deliver that killing blow. 
Yeah, I was going to bring you to the chair, too, because I just love the, the beat, because it's, like, coming, and all of a sudden, it's, like, clunk, and it strangles it a little bit, and you can kind of see right. the confusion on his face, like, wait, what the fuck? Well, like, <laughs> this, this guy's not used to having a physical form for oh, a yeah, while. that's probably. true, yeah. Hence yeah. the confusion. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also another gruesome beat, because she, like, stabs it. And then when it falls down, it drives the blade, like, all the way through the head of the thing or whatever. (laughs) Sklurch. So she comes over to Otabenga. She's like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm dying. The demon is gone, sent back to hell. When you killed it, it's host. I am drained of that energy that sustained me. And she's like, no, the BPRD can fix this. We need you. He's like, I'm fucking tired, lady. I should have lain to rest a long time ago. Leave me and carry on. She says, I can't. I don't know what to do. And he says, yes, you do. And he hands her those, those rosary various, beads. Yeah, yeah. With the various like charms and stuff. Yeah. You know, he dies in this last panel. But very resourceful the way Ashley runs into like a random room, sees a weapon. It's the perfect weapon. Oh, yeah. And then she kills it. This is what I always think. Like, remember when Liz went back into the hospital with the cops? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what was that Lake of Fire? And they're like, we're out of bullets. And she's just like already swinging her right. like a battle axe. The BPRD is at least trained what to do when you run out of bullets. Right, sure, right. yeah. No weapon. Right. Anything can be a weapon, and there's probably a good one around. Just keep your keep your head on, get the job done. That's right. what a BPRD agent does. Yeah. We cut to Ashley Strode in the helicopter now. I guess she's been picked up by the BPRD. And we overhear these guys talking about the cleanup crew in China after we blew up that underground city. And so I think they're talking about the events of King of Fear, right? Well, because oh, the right. other guy goes to bed. Oh, right, right. And they also mention some pictures from Russia. I don't know what it means, man. It just keeps getting weirder and weirder out there. Sometimes I feel like no matter what we do, it's all headed somewhere really bad. Yeah, maybe. What are you going to do? We ain't just going to roll over. And we see Ashley Strode. Not only does she have the rosary from Otabenga, but she also has one of his books, too. I like that bit of dialogue, though, that it's like, well, it's the apocalypse. We might as well just, what are we going to do? Just be like, oh, well. Right. You yeah. know, we're not just, you know. So it's interesting. We go back to Indiana. Now Ashley is there to follow up on that kid. And as she goes up the stairs, the father's telling her, like, the kid's been worse and he's been saying horrible things and all this kind of stuff. And he's like... We appreciate you coming, but last time it didn't really seem like you knew what you were doing. Aww. And she's <laughs> right. like, well, I appreciate your reluctance, but I've had some practice. In fact, I'm going to kick this little bugger's ass. Just you watch. And she goes in the room and the mom is like, he had this horrible voice. And then all of a sudden it just stopped cold. His eyes don't even look so scary anymore. He seems fine. I mean, for real this time. And she's like, how are you feeling? And the kid's like, the bad thing ran away. It was scared of you. It should be, she says. Yeah. Yeah. I like this awesome. interesting, it's just a little wispy squiggle, but it's still like, we right. know that's the demon running yeah. away. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's hot sauce running away. That's there hot sauce <laughs> running away. But it's like, how if you zoom in on that, that is nothing. That is a squiggle. Oh, wow. It is. You're but totally right. But it's so good because it's so effective. Like, she looks at the, she sees the squiggle. And you would just see, like, that little hazy. To us, yeah. we interpret that exactly as right. a hazy demon fleeing the situation, running the fuck away. And that is so cool. How you yeah. can make these suggestive, dynamic, you know, expressive storytelling images with just a squiggle. That's so cool. That is really cool. Yeah. The artwork in 
in this by Cameron Stewart and kind of Mike Norton, but mostly Cameron Stewart reminds me of like 101 Dalmatians. Okay. Artwork. Okay. Like, uh, it's the eyes. Is Is it the eyes? Like everything, the nose, the eyes, the ears, the hair. But uh, this is like, thanks to Dave Stewart, we've got some heavy rendering, right? Mm, Yes. Yeah. Like, remember that video game Dragon's Lair? I do remember it, yeah. I do not. It was like a video game that actually looked animated. It looked really, really cool. I fucking do know what you're talking about. Yes. It's in that same vein. Yeah. I think, I feel like that's what it reminds me of. Like, because I always saw Dragon's Lair look like the main guy from 101 Dalmatians. You know what? I actually thought that, personally, I thought it was more, I guess it's similar. I thought it was closer to Sword in the Stone, personally. Sword in the Stone, I mean. No, exactly. But they're very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Agree, agree, agree. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I used to love that fucking movie. All right. And for our next story, we're going to be discussing BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Exorcist. This is a three-issue story published from April to June 2016 as BPRD, Hell on Earth, 140 to 143. This cover is wild. Sorry, were you about to say that? I was going to say, I love this Fogredo cover. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, I agree. It's incredible. It's really lovely. All the Fogredo covers are so awesome. And of course, Dave Stewart takes it and runs with it. It's amazing. According to the Hellboy Wiki... The story was originally supposed to be written and drawn by Cameron Stewart again. However, when the story was delayed until 2016, Cameron Stewart said he was unable to finish the story due to his commitments for Fight Club 2 and Batgirl. Okay. Working from an outline by Cameron Stewart, the script for The Exorcist was written by Chris Robertson. Both Mignola, Cameron Stewart, and Chris Robertson all received story credits for it. Mike Mike Norton took over art duties with some help from Dave Stokes on the thumbnails. Norton is known for his self-published work, Battle Pug, and oh. also some- Is that awesome- as cute as it sounds? Yeah, it really is. Okay. <laughs> and we also have some amazing covers by Duncan Fogredo, like you mentioned, and an incredible variant cover by David Mack for Chapter 1, Issue 140. I've been waiting yeah. to talk about this. I've been sitting here looking yeah. at this cover the whole time I know, <laughs> it's just out recording. here on the table. Can I pick it up and look at it? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, actually, I had doubles for that one, so that's Aubrey's copy of that oh, awesome David Mack cover. Yeah, yeah. And I love I David love Mack David so Mack. much. I'm a huge uh, fan of his work. And uh, I actually though. have an awesome Daredevil sketch by him. I've I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple times, and he's a super nice guy. Oh, yeah. Guy. I've, I've met him a couple of times, too. He's really nice. And, uh, yeah, I just love this Ashley Strode cover. I so. love how delicate it is. I mean, in true David Mack fashion, but it's it's just so beautiful. It's, yeah. Oh. Have, you, have you seen that one, Matt? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's great. I love how... Okay, so you notice how the BPRD sword right here? Mm-hmm. Down here? Yeah. And then you get the tip of the flaming sword right here? Oh, It lines yeah. up. That yeah. is so cool. What a great detail. I, I didn't mean, even notice that. I, well, I've been sitting here staring at it the whole time we're right. recording. I just keep looking at it. The little delicate sigils and yeah. the, the watercolor, of course. I mean, you know. So it says 15 months later... But these stories were actually published four years apart. So I was wondering, is oh, this only in the shit. omnibus? Does it say 15 months later for you, Matt? No. Okay, so that's only for the omnibus. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, so um, they put them back to back in the BPRD Hell on Earth omnibus volume four, but they were actually four years apart. Does it say Central Oregon? No, it doesn't say that. Oh, that's what mine says, Central Oregon. Hmm. It says Eugene Origin on the next page. Right. Yeah. So we open on this kid. He's sitting out near a dirt road, and down comes a toy car, and it runs into the boy's foot. It falls on its side. 
and we see it has some kind of symbol that's been written in red. Mm. It's a bloody fingerprint. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that what it is? You're right. Yeah. And so it's seemingly come in the direction of an ominous house. And the kid walks towards it. Of course. Why not go out right. to a house after that? Yeah, it must be some kind of a... Something's going on yeah. here. Something yeah. hinky's going there's on. The, there's the X-Files cold open, right? There's the X-Files cold open for sure. Exactly. We cut to Eugene, Oregon, and we see Agent Stroh jumping over cars and chasing after some guys. Chasing so we... after Macaulay Culkin. Oh, is that who that is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would do a great job with this guy. And So this is... Well, first of all, this is only a couple hours from Milwaukee, Oregon, where Dark Horse Comics is. Oh, but, nice. But this is like the aftermath of Hell on Earth, right? Like, this town's been... Oh, right, yeah. Totally, yeah. like... Thanks for pointing that out. Because if you were just coming in on this, you'd be like, oh, she's chasing that guy for crashing that car? Oh, okay, right, right. But we know, you know, monsters oh, have yeah. been through here. Yeah. No, yeah, right. we know what's going on. She's she's Ashley Strode, Demon Hunter, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Strode goes up the stairs in this building after the guy, and so he leaps. This he... is one of my favorite television shows. Can I just say that? Oh yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this it is right. Yes, one of my favorite. You're TV like, shows. oh, Ashley Strode episode. This is yes, great. of course. Yeah, earlier Matt said every time he's on the screen or whatever. Yeah, I think it's right. very yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I think yeah. It's very telling that we see this in like a TV show format, of course. And so we get to this moment where the guy leaps out this window, and so she's got to leap after him, and she's like, this had better be worth it. If you're just some skeevy junkie, I'm going to be very disappointed. (laughs) She leaps out the window after him. Walking down the hallway, Strode hears Latin, and she approaches a doorway. Oh, crap, she says. Yeah, that is intimidating. And so we see this guy. He's speaking this spell, and he's covered in symbols. All these symbols are written all over the room, all over the walls, and he stands in a pool of gasoline yeah, or something, right? Yeah, just sigils everywhere, and he's like, yeah, this is not good. Yeah. And so, I don't know if you saw this on the wall behind him, it says, Berith will come to my aid for 20 years, and I will repay him. Not a good deal, dude. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. From the Demonology Wiki, Berith is a great duke of Jinistan. Powerful and terrible, he has 26 legions of demons under his command. He appears as a soldier dressed in red, riding a red horse, and wearing a golden crown on his head. Other grimoires say that his skin is red, too. And so Strode sees the sigil of Berith on the wall, so she goes, Damn it, I know what this is. She's, yeah. yeah. And so that's actually the symbol of that demon. Notice how there's like a horseshoe and a buzzard in, in the puddle of gasoline. Oh, oh right, yeah. yeah. I didn't like, want to notice that. He's got. All. He's been up to some stuff. There's like an iron off to the side. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. He's been doing rituals. And so she sees the guy. He's like taking out the lighter to light himself on fire. And so you <clears throat> should light yourself on fire. She holds. <laughs> and she see. Hold- this is my my wife takes this position a lot. Don't hurt animals. No, yeah. Humans. No big deal. Do whatever you want to fire. people in a, yeah. in a story. Yeah, in a TV show or a comic, you do whatever you want to other people. That's fine. But yeah. as, as soon as you hurt an animal, right? That's it. Light yourself yeah. on fire. That's my position. I, I always seem to side with the humans. Like maybe we could convince him not to do that and uh, go to jail instead. Fuck but, no. Oh well. I just I, I don't know. It's it come from that. Where's the fun in that position anyway. of like. 
You know, they, animals don't. They're just minding their own business. They didn't ask right. for they're any innocent. of this yeah. human drama bullshit, yeah, yeah. what's going on. And so they're just doing their own thing. Yeah. Don't drag them into this. Especially, right. like, you know, <laughs> vultures get such a bad rap. Like, they're amazing animals that are so, they're so intelligent and kind. They have their own little societies. But beyond that, they are actually very important to the ecosystem. And we fucking kind of need them a lot. So don't hurt them. <laughs> anyway, hurt back vultures. to you, John. There you go. Strode holsters her gun and she pulls out the prayer beads. In the BPRD 1947 sketchbook, we learned the beads contain the Eye of Ra, a cross, an Ankh, an Egyptian Nefer, as well as round and flat metal amulets with symbols of owls, scarab beetles, and scorpions, amongst other images. Tight. That's super cool. Where do you get one of those? That's great. Yeah. Well, check out the sketchbook and maybe you can make your own or maybe Skeleton Crew. Maybe Skeleton Crew. Hey, Skeleton Crew. Make me a flaming sword. (laughs) (laughs) Strode, she tries to plead with the guy, Trent, and she says it's not too late, but he still lights himself up. And it has that IE right. alley yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah, that we've been looking at. <laughs> Fine. We'll do it the hard way. And Strode calls on Durga, just like Odabenga did in BPRD 1947, meaning the inaccessible or the invincible. Durga is the most popular incarnation of DV and one of the many forms of the goddess Shakti in the Hindu pantheon. Durga is known to fight demonic forces. Yeah, we talked about it before, but I do like this concept that they're pulling from all these different yeah. demon fighters and different religions for their arsenal. Look at this great transition here from her hand. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Mark with a black background and then the flame that's almost like yeah. that, that middle panel that's mostly black with just a spark. That's just us being cued that she's in the alternate dimension. Oh, right, yeah. right. The yeah. alternate plane. That smallest panel is doing the most work. Here. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. It's really cool. I like that you point that out. Yeah. And yeah, so she says, Durga, watch over me. Lend strength to my arm. Fill my hands with weapons. What is the name? Do we know the name of the object that this guy is holding here? I don't know. It's a very yeah. interesting looking thing there. Yeah, she encounters this incredibly designed demon. So yeah, I was going to talk about the design here what kind of skull is that? Is it like a horse skull? It looks like a horse skull. Right. right. And it's just all red. And then, yeah, he has this like m- kind of harvest moon-shaped weapon or crescent moon-shaped weapon. Yeah, it's a crescent moon shape, but it's it's like a, I don't know, it's like some kind of a weird... Almost like a pendulum. Like a pendulum, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then it's, a, I guess it's got a blade on the end of it, or I don't know yeah. what the name of this particular is, like weapon is called. Hey! You damn guys. Tell us what the weapon's Give us, called. Tell, send us a hate him, guys, and tell us what it is. And then friendship. And friendship. <laughs> Baruth calls Strode a pitiful thing, and they immediately go to fighting. And I really like this effect. As they're fighting, the panels go back and forth between the spirit realm and the real world. Oh, right. The rosary beads subbing in for the sword. So, like, she stabs the demon through, and then when we cut back, like, she's holding the beads up to the guy in real life. And, like... As he's on fire, I thought this was also interesting. Like, he's still talking to her as he's burning. Yeah. Ugh, creepy. Some really nice panels here. And as they fight, Baruth scratches Strode's arm. And so we see her jacket get torn in the real world. Yeah, so, like, you know, whatever damage you get there uh, transfers over into the real world. Strobe stabs at the demon. He says, they speak of her name in hell. If Shall you I? die in the Matrix, you die in real right. life. <laughs> I was thinking more Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. That's better. 
Yeah, that's a better one. Shall I send you to meet your many admirers, Bruce says. Pretty sure you're making that up, Strode says. So in the last one, Oda Benga said that demons are liars. Don't believe what they're right. saying. Right. So I thought that was an interesting comment. The fact that she takes his advice to heart instead of dragging us through this, she's got to learn the lesson the hard right. way type of deal. Like, oh, this is such a relief. I'm so annoyed with characters that don't fucking listen. <laughs> To the shaman guy or whatever. Right. Hey, you know what that axe is called? I just looked it up. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, it's called a crescent axe. Oh, right. wow. Okay, oh, hey. Damn. All right. Or, or a crescent moon axe. And it looks like they have them all over. Persian one. The Vikings had one. Okay. Everyone's got one. John had it right on the nose. Wow. And there you go. Yeah. Pretty cool. Thanks for looking that up, Matt. <laughs> Strode asked Trent what he was offered to convince him to open the door to our world. As she talks, I like this other detail. She gets a pen and she starts scratching out mm, the yeah. sigil of Bereth or whatever. I thought that was pretty neat. She's always prepared. She's got a Sharpie in her pocket. Right. She's ready to go. <laughs> Trent says, he knew that the age of man is drawing to a close. I offered him a place and what will follow. Trent says that she can get the same deal. Strode says she knows better and she sends Bereth back to hell. And we see Trent crumbling to dust as well. The door's closed, she says. So that's that one bit of the conversation that she kind of caught from that. And as she walks away, she finds this ring with a sigil on it in the ash from where that guy was, you know, disintegrated or whatever. I like how when she's sending him back to hell, he's like, no, not back there. Yeah. We cut over to a motel and we get this scene with Strode and a woman that she apparently picked up from a local bar. Her name's Hannah. And I think this is a nice way for us to get some exposition and at the same time show that the BPRD cast has some LGBTQ representation, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to cast her as uh, Lupita, and I am going to butcher her last name, so I'm not even going to say it, but she... Lupita Oh, there you go. Yeah. I realize, <laughs> I re I realize that, you know, as a fucking white person, I'm just going to make it sound terrible, right. so I didn't want to do that. Strode is sewing up her BPRD jacket. And she explains to Hannah that she's been the resident exorcism expert at the BPRD now. But with all the Hell on Earth, Ogdruhem, Black Flame situation going on, she's been on detached service in the field since the last story. The gates of Hell must be wide open considering how many demons keep popping up here on Earth, she says. And we also see that she's got like this, you know, that meme from Always Sunny, like she's got one of those she's on the wall. Yeah, yeah, she's got like all the... Um, different pictures where she's got all of her clues. Are you talking and, about the like, Charlie Day? Yeah, she's, the cigarette? she's got yeah. the red thread, like sh you know, showing all the details, and it's really cool because it's like people have rings and jewelry that have like little sigils on them, and she's noticing yeah. all that and everything. Yeah, this is Linda Hamilton. Oh, okay. this is an Oscars <laughs> Linda Hamilton red carpet photo. Okay, and yes, I just implied that she deserves an Oscar. <laughs> For Terminator, for Terminator 2. 2. Go back and give her one for that. Uh, Full title. Judgment Day. Nice. Or T2. T2, T2 Judgment, Judgment Day. Day. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was not able to research all these little pictures that are in the background, the little black and white depictions of demons. I tried to look for some of them, and I started off just like the first couple pages I wasn't finding anything, and I was like, I don't have time to do this. So. Greek lady with ram horns. I'm wondering if those yeah. are references to anything like this one that says demons according to AC. Mm. I was like, that's got to be a historical depiction, but I just couldn't find it. Strode also mentions that they're human agents that work with demons. 
and she inspects that ring that she found earlier. Hannah notices the card on the wall with the word Yamsay written on it. Looks like Christian Kid from The Hates down here. Okay, no one's going to get that reference. Okay, jeez. Hey, somebody will get that <laughs> reference. Oh, okay, I see what you're talking about, the guy with the mohawk. And Hannah mentions that Yamsay is the name of a nearby town. From her description, it doesn't sound like a great place. There was supposed to be some kind of devil-worshipping cult, and kids were disappearing, she says. So are you going there to kill them, she asks. And Strode just looks at the at the card. We cut to Strode riding her motorcycle into Yamsay. Entering Yamsay, population screwed, the deface sign says. Now, you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street earlier, John, right? Yeah. So this gave me the Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, okay. The uh, 6-1 Freddy's dead. Where they go back into the town, and it's all desolate. Oh, right, right, yeah. That's what we see is all these uh, signs up on the post for missing children. She follows one of the flyers to a couple, and she starts interviewing them. The dad guy, he's got like a broken arm and a black eye. They say the sheriff in that town sucks, and they know who did it, the Kuplin brothers. The dad confronted them, but he got all beat up. And so Strode goes looking for these guys at a local bar called Yamsay Tap, and it's pretty dead inside. The bartender says it's been like that even before the trouble started. He mentions the bar is owned by the Kuplin brothers and gestures to the wall where there's all these pictures of them. And so we see pictures of them hunting, and then we see this one picture where they're like just casually, they have like a beer or whatever, but we see behind them there are all these like Like symbols symbols and all that. It's just like... They took the picture and they're like, oh, shit, maybe we need to crop some of this out. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) This would be uh, some wrestler. Oh, okay. Spartan. I would just cast like a random wrestler. Oh, okay. Yeah, he does look like one of those guys. We haven't mentioned Mike Norton. He's doing a really good job picking up for Cameron Stewart here. yeah, looks great. It really has that same kind of style and that same kind of quality, too. The bartender mentions that there's not a lot of work in the town since the silver mine shut down. And Strode asks him about all the missing kids. The bartender says kids have gone missing for years, even back when old man Kuplin was still alive. He gestures to this old black and white picture on the wall, and he says the guy was poor when he founded the town, but was the richest man in the state when he died. Strode goes over to inspect the picture a little closer, and she sees there's like this family portrait of the whole Kuplin family, but behind them on the door is that same sigil that she found on Trent's ring. As Strode leaves the bar, she sees a text from Kate saying, You haven't checked in lately. How did it go in Fresno? Fresno, Strode says to herself, it has been a while. So this kind of reminded me a little bit of this one episode of Supernatural where like you see the one character just going from town to town and people are like calling him and like, you know, where have you been? It's a like a alternate universe dream episode okay but it has that same kind of feel to it to me nice suddenly she gets ambushed by some masked men with bats but she's able to get the better of them and she even gets one of their bats away which i really like she's like punching these guys yeah nice and, uh, it's really good yeah i like how she's not only kicking their ass she's talking trash yeah right <laughs> but this is her she's in her original element this is what she's yeah, because she's like, she was this is what Navy. I want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. She mentioned that in the last episode she wanted military action. Yeah. Right. Well, she also, like, didn't she mention in one of these episodes she used to be in the Navy? 
Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's like, this is my, sh- this is very much my shit. I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah, bar fights. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Plus, she's been taking it's down awesome. demons. These guys are like nothing. Right, right, exactly. But that was her original complaint to Kate yeah. was like, well, I don't know how to do this stuff. What? And right. then now she's like doing all of it, right. which I think is fantastic. You two are punching above your weight, Strode says. Let me show you how it's done. A little bit of that trash talking Aubrey was talking about. Yeah, yeah. so Good. she easily takes these two out. They're on the ground in pain, and she removes their masks, and she recognizes them as the Coupland brothers. She asks them about the children, and they say they've never used anything bigger than chickens in their rituals. <laughs> Freddie Mercury over here. <laughs> Wait, so you admit that you perform ritual sacrifice, but you aren't behind the abductions, she says? So why'd you attack me? And they're like, well, because you're from the BPRD, and we figured you're here to take us out. We're just trying to bring prosperity back the way our grandpa did at that old house. And so she's like, that would be Eustace Copeland. I take it. And he used to bring prosperity to the town doing sacrifices. Is the old house still standing, she asks. And they're like, yeah, why? And then so we see her driving down there. I like how, like, you know, this kind of turns into, like, this whole, like, we thought you were after us. And like, no, no. And then... They just go on our way. <laughs> right. I like that little fake out right there. Because yeah. we are also, they kind of set them up to us also to be the bad guys. Yeah. Strode goes past this no trespassing sign to this creepy old house. I wonder if anyone's home, she says. And we cut to chapter two. Amazing work by Duncan Fregredo again as Strode walks up to this creepy house. In the letter column for the first issue, Scott Alley, editor, reveals that this is based on a real place. Oh, they um, talk about this in the sketchbook, yeah. yeah. So he says, my friends and I spent my birthday in a small Oregon town where we discovered an abandoned hoarder house. Mike Oming, Tim wow. Seeley, Josh Williamson, Jeremy Atkins, and yours truly all went to the house. So, I mean, those are like comics pros. Yeah. Right, there, yeah. right? My money would have been on Josh or Tim to use it in a comic, especially since Josh has a book set in rural Oregon. Oh, wow. Cameron. Cameron found a good spot for it first. Uh, you'll see inside inside the place in the next issue. Nice. Yeah, Very I like cool. when things are based on someone's actual real life experience. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The pictures that they showed, I, I was just like, whoa, that's fucking crazy. Oh, they yeah. show pictures of it too. Yeah, they... in the back of the omnibus version. I'll go ahead and post those this week. Cool. Have you guys ever been inside a hoarder house? No, I don't think so. Yes, I have. Yes, it's I have. so creepy weird yeah well i mean I, my, it's, it's a sickness isn't it? it's like an illness yeah like a mental my, illness. my first first thought was this house is supposed to be a lot bigger than this you know but it's yeah. like right. it's oh, right. cramped to the point where you can't move right. but it's like yeah right yeah you know this house is like it's really weird because you're in there and and you're looking at everything right you can't help but take it all in yeah. But then it hit me. I was like, "Oh wow, this is actually a really spacious, right? Uh, wow, you know, home. Oh, Too bad. Yeah, exactly." So Strode walks up to this abandoned house, and she hears this voice: "I hunger, feed me." She's like, "Huh? Okay." So someone is definitely home. She notices that same goetic seal on the door, but it's locked, and she doesn't see anything inside. And so she finally just forces her way open, breaking down the door. Inside, the house is totally trashed. Just like Matt said, it's a hoarder level. Strode hears a sound. She pulls out her gun. She gets ready to shoot. But it's just an angry possum baby. Don't hate that baby, Ashley Strode. Don't hate that baby. Possums are wonderful. They're great. 
they're sweet and they're not vicious or anything and also they are contribute so much to the ecosystem by all kinds of good stuff so they're really great and lots of myths surround possums don't believe them don't believe the negative hype they're awesome and our friends and i love them very much back to you john also leave wild animals alone just, yeah, just leave alone. them alone Chilling. strode starts going through the house but the stairway is completely blocked by trash but in another room she starts finding all these kids shoes and so these kids shoes like they go back a long way nope, like don't like that you know into the 40s or whatever like old style kid shoes so there was a criticism forget what i saw it's probably on the hellboy message boards but Mm -hmm. when this came out there was a criticism that it just wasn't realistic that she would be talking to herself out loud oh okay right but i think but i when i read this i was like oh she's talking to herself out loud that's exactly what i do in these situations yeah man Mm. If yeah. you're like nervous when, or it's you're creeped out and I mean, come like on. in a basement yeah. or being dared to go into a house, I'm always walking yeah. in there like, all right, you know, I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're here. Yeah, everybody's here. Yeah, Be cool. It's scary. I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. Uh, I'm definitely not going to the basement. It's good. I have to like ghost hunter style is what you're saying. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It just keep talking right and then that way you're not acknowledging all these horrible things that you're imagining yes right? yeah, for sure right, right. So, um, so i i i related to that anyway definitely i think on my end it would be more like to soothe myself i'd just be like you know to distract yeah. myself from the terrifying sure. horrors <laughs> that i'm conjuring up like you said in, in my mind i'd be like okay so this is fucking creepy <laughs> all right great and like when I stumble over something and trip, I'm just like, you know, I talk to myself. I say, yeah, well, that was right. stupid. Jeez. Like, you know, and so I, I, I have a kind of a habit of doing right. that. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying? Well, I just imagine her in this situation a lot. Like she was doing this in Fresno. Oh, sure. You're right. Whatever that was. She would get bored. It's like it's, it's her coping it mechanism also. Yeah. 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 Or also I can see like that's her way of working things out as an agent, as a detective. She's, you know, she's looking at these shoes. She's like, somebody's go back like the 40s what the fuck like you can like who doesn't do that at some point like i'll be in my car i'm like where is it i know i put it here in the back seat you know like i say things like that out loud even though there's no one around me i think that's a natural reaction to a lot of things in life so i i do buy this 100 percent. yeah yeah she's probably thinking of that map that she was making with the red yarn back in her yeah motel room right right. yeah she's invest this is the investigation and as she goes into the kitchen it's even more disgusting she finds all these jars. She's like, do I want to know what's in these uh, jars? Probably not. They're probably just like preserves and like stuff you'd find like, in an old school cabinet. Right. Sure, Aubrey, preserves. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you heard. No. <laughs> she hears that voice again. Feed me. I hunger. And it's louder this time. She finds another room filled with kids' bicycles. And so she keeps going down. This trail leads her to a pitch black basement. That's not creepy at all, she says to herself. And down there, she hears another sound. She thinks it's that sweet little possum baby, but it's a g g g g ghost. <laughs> it's this creepy old ghost lady, and she says she likes to play. She knows all sorts of games. Oh crap, Strode says. That's the second time we've seen her do that. The yeah, ghost total hellboy. Yeah, style. it is. Yeah. The ghost says the others came to play, but they all go away in the end. 
just like daddy did. So she talks like a little girl, but she looks like an old woman. And she tells Strode that she's too old to be her playmate. Not innocent enough. Not pure. Really like Patricia Clarkson for this. Who is that? Oh, yeah. American. Oh, okay. She was... Where do I know her from? Parks and Rec, I guess she was on there. She's in a lot of stuff. She's yeah. in a lot of awesome stuff. As the as the ghost you're talking about, right? Yeah. Nice. She's an incredible actress. I love her. No matter what she does, wherever she shows up, I'm just like, yes. Strode asks if she lives there, and the ghost says her dad built this house, but now she has to take care of things. By the way, I'm not saying that she looks like this ratty ghost or anything right, like that. Right. I'm not trying to I'm just saying that I'm looking for a good actress to play a ghost. Oh, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah, well, she could be creepy. Any yeah. excuse to have her in a role is another... Anyway, keep going. Sorry. And Strode asks her where the missing children are, and the ghost walks off up the stairs. Strode asks if the missing kids were her playmates. You're answering my questions one way or another, ghost lady, she says. Why does it always have to be the hard way? Strode says to herself... And she calls again on Durga to fill her hands with weapons. And so now... She just wants wants to have right. a, a nice, calm conversation <laughs> with a ghost. And so now in the spiritual realm, the ghost appears to her as a little girl. Strode says she's not going anywhere until she finds out what happened to the missing kids. And you're going to tell me. I think it's interesting that she wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Uh, right. I just like that yeah. choice of how that surprised her. Well, because she still talks to like a girl. So like she, her spirit is still like that or something like that. I just mean that she, she was gearing up for it to be some sort of gross, oh, horrible yeah, demon, yeah. a gigantic. Right. You know, and, and it's this little girl and she's like, oh, okay. As Strode starts with the prayer, the girl says she doesn't feel right. Not right at all. And so here's where I had those notes that I thought I had earlier. In Strode's prayer, she references the same gods Oda Benga did in BPRD 1947. Nice bit of continuity there. Conveniently, I just went back to my notes for that episode. <laughs> Utu, Shamash, and Anu the Father are Sumerian gods. St. Michael is a protector from the Bible. Indra, god of storms, is from Hinduism. Tight. Um, through this, Strode compels the girl old woman goes to tell her story grandpa coopland built the house and made his fortune in silver and they were pretty rich she was daddy's favorite and she helped him with his work which was basically finding a little kid playmate they would play for hours and then when daddy was ready for them they had to say goodbye Ugh. they always left their shoes behind this is all told over some nice sepia tone panels like yeah. we get in all these Mignolaverse flashbacks. Then we cut to her being an adult after he died. And so it's like, it makes me think like she never went to school maybe or like she yeah, like no, her she... whole life was just doing this one thing, yeah. which is really fucked up and sad. And that's why she's never, that's why she looks like a little girl. She's never like matured or anything. She's never like yeah. gone on or whatever. Yeah, like that one panel where she's sitting at the bottom of the stairs with around all the toys, and she's an adult. You know, she's still sitting like a child. Right, so exactly. So she kind of lived her entire life as a ghost. Right, right. Is, yeah. I also like the way the panels are laid out in that nine grid um, style. That's, oh, right. That's very reminiscent of older, uh, well, shit, Watchmen. <laughs> yeah, and I like how the captions are blue, like, like her word balloons were. It's a ghost you know, it's yeah. like ghost speak. Yeah. Also, Ghost balloons. Uh, unique about this, all three issues, all of the panels are drawn 
really roughly. Yeah, I dig like that border. paintbrush looking. I was just looking at that. Yeah. I'm not sure why he did that or if that's something he does all the time. Get some texture yeah, in there. It kind works. Switch it yeah. up. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Ooh, it. Gives it a gritty feel. That one kid in the flashback looks like Dennis the Menace. Though. It does, right. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wilson. You're a Satanist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great. That would be a great spoof right there. It would. Oh, yeah. So Dennis funny. the Menace in the occult world. That'd be great. Um, so we see her lying in bed as an old woman, and so it seems like she died there and her spirit never went on. Her whole life was sheltered in that house, like we were talking about. As a ghost, she still found ways to get the kids to come over. After they played, she would send them down into the dark. Gross. I took care of things just like Daddy did, the girl tells Strode. And so Strode starts to put it together. She didn't know well enough to stop after her dad died. Her spirit got trapped in the house. Strode says, she's seen this before. There's an easy way to fix it. And so she just takes out her lighter, right, and a piece of paper like she's going to light it on fire. And then she does. Right. (laughs) The house is a kind of cage, a prison that's keeping your spirit in place. You don't deserve any kindness, Strode says, but you're going to get it. But see, she wasn't doing that for her father. Yeah. Right. Her father was doing that for something else, too, right? So there's more to it. I can't leave you here luring innocent kids to their deaths anymore, Strode says. So I need to get rid of the cage, and that means you get to go free. Outside, we see Strode watching the burning house, and she calls out to the Sumerian gods again to put a spell around the house to keep it from burning the countryside. She says it's time for you to go. You've tarried here too long as it is. I don't know where you'll be going, but I've got a pretty good guess. This is such a Hellboy move. Oh, yeah. This is such a Hellboy story. It kind of reminds me of, now that you mentioned that, the sleeping in the dead with the little vampire girl, right, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Wasn't it almost the same kind of deal? And she's like, well, you hurt kids, and that's my least favorite fucking thing, so I really want to absolutely fuck you up, but you know what? Here we go. Let's do this. I'm just going to burn this fucking house down. You're exactly right. And so I can see, like, you know, I, I can even see him maybe lighting his cigarette and then throwing the lighter and lighting the house on fire sure, yeah he's, you know and yeah. that's she's so blase about it she's so cool and whatever about it just walking off like that and so i just really see this as a hellboy story yeah but when she goes to walk off and have that cool hellboy moment she still hears the voice i hunger yeah so she turns around and she sees this little shed that was behind the house. That's not even my final form. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, crap. Okay, I'm coming. Chapter three. This cover by Duncan Figueredo is so awesome. So amazing. Yeah. Ashley Strode approaches the shed and she hears that voice again saying, I hunger. And she goes in there and she finds a well. She tries to look down into it, but of course her flashlight goes out. So she finds this old-timey oil lantern, and she climbs down into the well. It's not old-timey. They still make those. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that one's an antique. It's old-timey to me. (laughs) Down at the bottom of the well, she finds, like, there's, like, a hole in the well wall, I guess. And so she climbs through this little opening, and she finds this enormous, bull-headed, chunky boy devil beast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's chomping on a kid. This is pretty dark. Yeah. the kid from the very beginning yeah, probably yeah yeah strode notices that the demon is in a binding ring and she notices the seal as that of balam from wikipedia 
In demonology, Balaam is a great and powerful king of hell who commands over 40 legions of demons. He gives perfect answers on things past, present, and to come. And he can also make men invisible and witty. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting power? He can make you witty? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Balaam is depicted as being three-headed. One head is that of a bull, the second of a man, and the third is of a ram. He has flaming eyes and the tail of a serpent. He carries a hawk on his fist and rides a strong bear. At other times, he is represented as a naked woman riding a bear. But I thought this was interesting because they say he has three heads of, of a bull, a man, and a ram. And as we see him go through this, he changes his yeah. heads to those three different things. I love yeah. that that would be an amorphous, ever-shifting, psychedelic type of a deal. Right. I really like the idea that that would be, like, maybe your eyes can't decide what you see. Right. And your your brain can't see everything simultaneously, so it's, your vision is shifting it like sure. that, but it's... It's all three at once all the time, maybe. Like yeah. that's so it's interesting how some of these faces are in transition. Yeah. So that's kind of like a really neat I, effect. I I really it was yeah. so well done that I was just like, ugh, it makes it super creepy. I love that. And it's so much cooler than showing like a three headed demon. Sure, right. Exactly. It's it's an interesting idea. It's for a nice sure, way yeah. to interpret that. Yeah, right? yeah. And Strode she calls him by his name, Balam, and so he's pretty impressed that she can read the signs. <laughs> right. And he asks if she's there to strike a deal. She reveals that she sends demons back to hell. Balam asks her why she's come then, and he just continues to eat off this dead kid. Yeah, jeez. And Strode, she starts talking some shit to him. She calls him a scavenger and a bottom feeder. You dare insult me, Balam exclaims, and he monologues about his 40 legions and his power. And so, yeah, here he's, like, going through those different heads, too. But Strode isn't impressed with all the demons boasting. She says, he's not powerful anymore. He's a monkey in a cage. He's being contained and controlled, and he has to tell the truth if compelled so. So she does that. She compels him. It is a good visual to have him keep changing like that, because this is essentially, like, a multi-page conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a way that for them to like, really keep dull. it interesting. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. You could just do one big panel with the guy and all his word balloons on one side or something, right? Right, but right. This is cool. It is, yeah. And it flows really well. We get this great flashback to hell. And so I love Dave Stewart's colors on this. And so we get to see Balam when he was a great knight in the Order of the Fly he was ruling with an iron fist. Some mortals were worshipping him, curring his favor. And so we see like there's like a seance or some sort of ritual going on, and he's like appearing there in this mist. But I grew cocky, he says. Kuplin trapped him on earth by summoning him into that binding ring. But they struck a deal. He would show Kuplin where to find riches, and in exchange he would bring him a fresh soul every year. But the old fool took his life before releasing me, Balam says. He compelled the daughter to continue, so that's why she stayed. He, she was like compelled by this demon okay, so to she's, keep doing it. Yeah, right? she was under yeah. his power. Right. His, yeah. But she didn't know how to free him. And so I was thinking about this. So how hard could it be? Erase the ring that he's in? 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Boy, if demons are dumb. They kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> they keep getting stuck in rings. Oh, well, there might be some sort of a like you can't destroy it unless you do this certain ritual. Sure, okay. Type of deal, or I don't know. Yeah, but undoing that's... someone else's uh, thing is also a thing. Like right. you know, you can't undo another person's deal unless you know how or some shit. I don't know. Sure, sure. I mean, that would be awesome if you go to all the trouble to create a binding ring or spell for a demon. He's like. Oh yeah, and he just erases a portion right. of it. <laughs> no, but he says he says that the daughter couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. But like, wouldn't she? Well, wouldn't she... he just compel her to just like clean up a little part of it, and then he could just walk out? No, that's what I'm saying is undoing another <laughs> they person's probably couldn't. Yeah. Okay. undoing another person's you know incantation or whatever the fuck to spell or whatever. Like I bet they tried that. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. it, it might actually be instead of like like a painting, maybe it's a carved in there. And then oh. accent him with paint to make it look all flashy. Okay. I'm saying it's magic. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's magic, right. So Strode says, the deal was for one kid a year. Why is he taking so many now? Balam says, he's heard all about what's happened in hell. The throne stands vacated. If he were freed, he wouldn't go back to hell, but he would just walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? <laughs> you know, like Cain and Kung Fu. No, you know, like Abe Sapien in the Dark and Terrible Cycle. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Balam says the more souls he consumes, the more strength he gains. And soon he'll be able to break out of the ring. He says he was just waiting for someone like Strode to come and see. Someone like me, Strode asks, but why? Let me show you. And so he punches the wall of the cave above him. So he's still within the ring when he does that, which I think is really cool. That uh, that idea yeah. that he's just going to break this part that's still within the ring. And then as all the debris starts to fall on the ground, it's like breaking up everything. Strode has to jump up into the ring to avoid falling. And so this allows Balam to grab her. A great panel work here by Norton and Stokes. So Balam, like he holds her up by the arm and he grabs her. He says he can scoop out her soul and take residence there. It will be a tight fit for me, excruciatingly painful for you. I don't like the word choice of scoop. <laughs> I don't like that. But it should do the trick, he says. But and, I mean, I, and I say I don't like that. I mean, it's effective. So good writing. But I don't like it as in, it's a good job that you made me not like that. It's right. a visceral <laughs> word. You didn't have to use that word, but you did. Yeah. You know? So as he's going on with her free hand, she's able to pull out those beads. And so when he's saying that he's going to do all this stuff to her, she's like, sure, why not? And then she calls on Durga, lend strength to my arm and fill my hand with weapons. And so her sword now appears, but it appears now here in the real world, right? Oh, well, she's inside of the... The ring. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. She also makes a comment of like, oh, I've never managed to conjure this on this side. But yeah, you're absolutely right. She's within that ring. So that's mm, probably why yeah. she can do it. I love that. And so she chops Balam's hand and he like lets go of her. She falls to the ground and then she chops him at his ankle too. Over these next few pages, we get some dynamic action by Norton. Balam changing all his demon forms throughout the fight. I love that she says, come on, maggot, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. It's like when she had that baseball bat against those guys at the beginning, the brothers. Right. You keep imagining her with the sword. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. In the end, Balam charges straight at Strode while she's down, and she's able to plunge her sword right into his head. Incredible feat. Yeah, really nice. I'm going to say... 
really great at rendering feet. I, I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate hands and feet a lot. It's hard. It's hard to do. You yeah, have to draw like yeah. a thousand hands. <laughs> so you have to draw like a thousand feet to even be able to, you know, do that reliably. So that's that's excellent. As Balam falls, Strode approaches to finish the job. I will, Balam sputters. You will nothing. You are nothing. And Strode just slashes at his throat. And so this releases all the children's souls. Really cool moment. Really awesome. Yeah. Like how yeah, they come out of his mouth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he ate them. Oh, you're right. I like how uh, she's like, right after she he like crashed to the ground, she's like, that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good moment. We see Strode exit the shed. As she walks down towards her motorcycle, she checks the phone again. Coming back anytime soon, she reads from Kate. Sorry, Corgan. I've still got too much work to do out here. Or maybe I've been on the road long enough. And so she just takes off. We close on that car used to lure the boy to Balam. The end. Okay, so you said between this story and the last story there was four years. Right, yeah. But in this it makes it, it makes it clear that it's only been 15 months. But I guess like if you're just reading this, you're like, damn, fuck, she's been on the road for a long goddamn time. Right. Yeah, really. <laughs> it did seem like that. And I remember having to go back to Exorcism and read that one again because I was like, what was her whole deal again? You know what right, I mean? Yeah. And then you read that and it makes you want to go back to BPRD 1947 and read that one too. We're looking at the Digital Omnibus, page 395. We have more of the covers by... Kalvachev. Victor Kalvachev. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Victor Kalvachev. We also get Cameron Stewart's model sheet for Ashley Strode. Nice. Scott Alley says, when we asked Cameron Stewart to pitch a BPRD story, he asked for a female character he could develop. Awesome. We pointed him to BPRD War of Frogs one-shot featuring a young agent named Ashley who idolized Liz Sherman. Cameron gave Ashley a last name and brought her to life in the two-part exorcism. He really fleshed her out so well. He took a character that, like, to me personally, was just kind of a whatever right, character yeah. and really took it and ran with it. I'm so happy that that he did that. That's just really, that worked out so well. It's really good. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, it's really cool getting into the story because, like, I know we run into her in the past, but really hasn't done anything but everybody keeps writing in talking yeah. about how badass she is and i'm like <laughs> i know well, I, shit, I, I can't i was like i can't wait till we get to those issues yeah <laughs> i i love that he put the work into her and really made her someone that i actively like instead of just a character that i'm ambivalent about so i just really appreciate that yeah. a lot i love it when that happens and i kind of like this kind of sidestep like They've done this a couple times, but the, the one that this makes me think of is Abyss of Time. Mm-hmm. We just had this random story where they introduced this guy, Ted Howard, right. and for some reason <laughs> there was this weird prehistoric connection with Galdinar, and then that just sat there. And then it was later in BPRD that picked that up. Now he's part of the team and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it makes me excited for this character as well. Yeah. Kind of, they're kind of maybe doing a similar thing there. It's... Well, it really shows how, like, Manola and these guys care about creators and yeah. they give cameron stewart the opportunity they're like what do you want to do man oh yeah make up your own character write your own story draw your own comic at you you can do more than one arc yeah i love that because you could see any other creator could be like well i don't know it's kind of my thing i don't want to give other people a chance to shine too mm. much right in yeah. my world but that is you know we've got hellboy in hell for oh, that yeah, right yeah. like let people run with it yeah i just think you know yeah. he's yeah. getting he's getting writing credit here obviously mike was involved right, right? 
But come on, man, he's letting people own it. I think that says a lot oh, yeah. for, the, for the universe. Because it's like we've said before, when you're in the Batcave, it looks different depending on yeah. who's drawing it. And that's just kind of like people's chance to mess around. But they're not saying, do you want to create a whole new character and just go away from Batman for a few issues? Right. They're not doing that. He's yeah. committing so think, to this universe, to this world that has been built, and he wants to explore it more. And I love that he, yeah, that, yeah, because all the all the elements are there, and he made such such excellent choices. Oh yeah, bringing those different components. We already yeah. had Otabenga set up. Like, I'm going to use this Liz angle. I'm going to use Kate. I'm going to yeah, use yeah. this whole thing, and I'm going to. You know, at first, when we first see her, she's not that great. And then now she is great. And right. you believe it. And sure, it's, yeah, I like exactly. That. She's the resident exorcism demonology expert now. Yeah. 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 Pulling Otabanga into it was so brilliant. Because it's, it's playing on emotions we've had in the past and relying on us knowing those stories. Sure. I love that shit. Oh, and that made me think of something else. You brought up Otabanga. So... Then Otabenga in 1947, there's like a comment where he's like, he doesn't think it's right that Broom has Hellboy. And he mentioned yeah. something about not trusting a demon and all this kind of stuff. But now we know he had a demon inside of yeah. him. The, he had a demon inside him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is um, fleshing that out, giving yeah. that another Pretty cool. layer, more nuance, helps me appreciate these other stories. And that, that takes so much skill. That takes a lot of commitment and a lot of skill. I like that a lot. We also get the sketches for Sabaco, the Tabasco sauce demon. <laughs> and, um, just call him Tabasco. Just like Aubrey was saying, they had their design for it, and then Mignola came and kind of tinkered with their design. Good old like, hot sauce. Yeah, I like how he's like, I like this guy. A couple yeah. suggestions, you know what I mean? And um, Yeah, that's awesome. It's really cool I, that they I always, that. I'll get like a, a job from somebody, and I'm like, no problem. And then I'll say, now here's everything that's a problem. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always start off by going, no problem, this will be easy. But I have an issue with this, this, this. Right. <laughs> we also, um, just like Matt was talking about, we have some pictures here. In the omnibus, it says, the second part of this book is based on a house in Central Oregon. A number of comics professionals have been out there, but it was Cameron who worked it into the comic first. He plotted the story of Ashley coming into her own as an exorcist in the house. But when his work on Fight Club 2 went long, he turned the plot over to Chris Robertson and Mike Norton, neither of whom had been in the house. Although Mike shares a studio and a series revival with repeat visitor Tim Seeley below holding a 1960s newspaper found in the house. When the property was cleared out in 2014, we realized there was a second structure behind the main house, inspiring the climax of this story. Yeah, so they didn't even know that was back there, too. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. These pictures are fucking creepy. Yeah, it looks exactly like what they've described. There's all the jars and everything and all the different shoes. Wow. And I love this black and white cover. Yeah, we have uh, pencils, uh, a nice pinup by Cameron Stewart of Ashley Strode outside the house. These pictures are so fucking creepy. We also see some of Stokes' panel layouts. And then... Um, I do want to talk about some of these covers that are in the back. So we have that David Mack cover. And we didn't talk about this. The trade paperback cover by Ryan Sook for The Grind and Devil's Engine. Um, yeah. And it has the Steel Kilts mug and it has Kate. I just love this cover. I can't believe that we didn't talk about that when we did that story. We also have the trade paperback cover for Flesh and Stone we, that we discussed last week. But I really want to mention this trade paperback cover for these stories. That's by Lawrence Campbell. 
and it just has Strode standing there with the flaming sword, and he just does such an awesome job. We see the rosary beads and all that kind of stuff, and I just love this cover. It's so awesome. Yeah, I love his cover work. I mean, he does some amazing covers for this, you know. But of course, all the artists do amazing covers, so yeah. All right, that was a great set of stories, and so I'm excited what the future holds for Ashley Strode. You know, hopefully we'll see her again and some stories coming up. All right, so we'll have another great book club episode for you guys next week. And right now, Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on BPRD, Hell on Earth, Exorcism, and The Exorcist. You can send us at heyyoudamnguys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link and the reading order in our Facebook About section. Always a special thanks to Paul from Garterhan for the uh, wonderful theme. We love it, as always. Thank you, Mark Trudell, for helping John with the reading order. Thank and you, Mark. Thank you, John, always with the hard work on doing all the, the research and the editing and the everything. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we will be reading some more Lobster Johnson. It's going to be a Lobster right. Johnson holiday. Awesome. We will be reading Kaput Mortem, Satan Smells a Rat, and Tony Massa's Finest Hour. So, you know what to do. Travel back in time to 1940s. <laughs> Live in a black and white world and join us next week with Lobster Johnson on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Daniel. I'm Matt Strackbine. And I'm Bobby Lovis saying, it just keeps getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good one, Aubrey.